welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast where we routinely fluff off our listeners. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and we are all Marty's hair. I'm Mike Bloom, alias Mr. Farty. I'm Paul Osselson, and despite what you may think about my life in Montana, I also do not play with animal nipples. <laughs> you, 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 never, you never milk your own milk, Paul? No, uh, believe it or not. I mean, we do a lot of weird things with our animals, but I, I don't play with their nipples or milk my own milk. I always got the feeling that, like, you know, if you because you, you went to school in Montana, and you know, like in in, in you know in, in the cafeterias at, at at my college, you know, they had like sort of you know like soda dispensers, and they had like a milk dispenser, you know, where you like you put your thing under and you like hit the lever, and then the milk would come out. And I I just thought that like you know in Montana, there's just a cow behind that glass that you just kind of like pull the udder, and it just kind of goes right in. No, like luckily we have a uh, Mario's familiar with this Viva milk, and so uh, <laughs> um you know that beautiful crisp cold milk is delivered right to our doors viva milk sounds like some sort of campaign a la got milk in the 90s done to like you know uh market to like esl students i'm proud to say we're 30 seconds into the podcast we're already doing milk your own milk jokes no discipline I, here on history. I'm just imagining like a kid with like some flag like with his fist up in the air going viva, viva milk, milk. <laughs> <laughs> so yes welcome back to our continuing coverage of survivor nicaragua one of the red-headed stepchild of, of children of survivor seasons one that's never been especially popular i think we had a fun time talking about it on part one and i'm really kind of surprised by myself that i'm excited about the second part are you guys excited about these middle episodes no what <laughs> well, this, well, well look... uh, no, no 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 it's not because i don't like nicaragua but I do need to point out that the greatest character, Jimmy T, is no longer here. I and mean, so what will we do? Uh, there's Well, there's going to be – I mean, Jeff Probst is going to essentially point out in a few episodes, right, like the main three people we should be paying attention to. So I guess mm -hmm. we'll talk, go to those people. But it's an interesting section of episodes we're going to get into specifically because, like, we're going to talk about the next five episodes, which you can just very easily call The Fall of Marty. That we just had four episodes where Marty's been built up, and specifically these five episodes that we're going to cover from the swap through his boot is just Marty's complete and utter fall from grace into being, like, just completely mocked and derided by literally everyone in the game. I mean, I'm going to point out, like, the, these these five episodes that we're going to talk about today, they're not necessarily, like, the most gripping five episodes that you're ever going to watch in the history of Survivor, and I'm not even going to try to argue that, you know, and and... and and whatnot, but I, I have gone on record to say that I think that Marty is such a fantastic character to watch in this show, and we've gotten a bunch of Marty already. But like as Mike just pointed out, these are this is this is the story of Marty, you know, like th this is literally where the balladeer comes in with his with his guitar and starts singing about you know the woes and the tales of Marty, and like this is it. This is this is actually some decent stuff in here to be mined. I had a. Uh, on my notes right away like some of these episodes felt way more old school to me than i thought they would and i don't know if it's because survivor has progressed at such an exponential rate like my the way i always thought about nicaragua and and we'll see when we we eventually get to our third part like my my memory of nicaragua is always like like what exactly happened? How did that happen? And I remember it being more complicated in terms of tracking the way that 
you know, alliances shifted and people were, were jumping ship to different people and who had an alliance with who. But for the most part, I felt like it was really pretty um, well explained what was happening here. I think the bigger question, like I said, is going to be how does the season wrap up? And I think that's where it gets kind of really wonky. But like you all are saying, this is a very clear five episodes dedicated to the fall of Marty after he falls from power at the end of episode four. So I, I had a lot of fun watching these episodes. I think I had more fun than I was expecting. It's a good point about how I agree that, you know, for some reason, I, I again, I call Nicaragua one of these like train wreck seasons where it seems like a bunch of power players go in a row. But really, if you look at the post-merge, it's actually incredibly simple, right? It's that Jane and Holly felt spurned by the older tribe and join up with everyone else on the younger tribe. And then you have like Marty and Dan basically try to ring together all of the random younger guys that were left out of that Shannon vote. And those are the two sides. It only really goes back and forth because of this weird thing where, like, they decide to get rid of Brenda one week, and then you have the double quit. And then essentially it's like a paganging of Fabio's entire side until he's the last one left. So it's surprisingly straightforward on paper, this post-merge. But I think due to these external circumstances, when you look at, like, that voting chart, it is much more wonky than you initially think. Yeah, I'm glad you guys brought that up because that's something that I felt as well is that I remember when I think back to Nicaragua, if you haven't watched it in a while, and I would imagine this resonates with most people listening to this podcast, is that it doesn't feel like it's a very straightforward narrative. And that was always my opinion as well until I've been watching it again for the Funny 115 and for this. And I came to the same conclusion you guys did. This is a very straightforward story. There's only one alliance, the whole game, this five-person LaFleur alliance, and I'm, I was actually shocked when I'm watching it now how straightforward it is. So this, the more I watch the season, the more I grow to appreciate it because it actually is not as confusing as you think it is. So I'm, I'm totally backing up what you guys just said. No, it, it's not confusing, but I think, I think we're, you know, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself and, and we should shut up and just talk about these five episodes, but this also tells you how much we enjoy, you know, how, how much like pure content these five episodes have if we're, you know, talking about other stuff is that, you know, we've said it before on this podcast that for better or for worse, like it or not, people judge a season usually by who wins the season. And they also judge a season by who's left at the end. Right. And it's like, we all kind of like Fabio. He's kind of a fun guy and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of people are just like, I can't believe Fabio wins a season. And then they look at like Chase and Sash, you know, being there at the end and, you know, Chase and Sash seem pleasant enough, but. Okay. Yeah. And one other thing that I wanted to add to follow up on what Jay said and what I said is that, yeah, that's, there's lots of different ways in, of interpreting the story. The one thing that I want to mention here, and I, it never crossed my mind until this latest rewatch is that this is one of the most straightforward stories they've ever had on Survivor, but we get to a certain point and it won't be in this episode in this part of historians in part two, it'll be in part three. It's where Nayanka turns on Brenda. And that basically sabotages the entire season and the narrative's dead after that. So that's one thing I just want to get people to keep in mind that this is really one of the most old school, straightforward narratives until that Nayanka and Brenda moment. And then it's just all a big clusterfuck after that. I also like how we say this is like a super straightforward narrative, really simple, but this is also a group of episodes where we get somehow, despite the narrative being Marty's dangerous, we need to get rid of Marty, Kelly B ends up going, which is still <laughs> the most confusing vote in Survivor history that we will attempt to break down here. <laughs> okay, 
let's delve into this because we got a lot to talk about. We don't have a whole lot of time. Our, our uh, We have a kind of a finite stop today, so we're going to try to rush to get through five episodes. So just for people who are listening along, we're going to get through the Marty episode, the uh, episodes five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Although it is funny, we arbitrarily, when we sit down to do these episodes, set the start and the end point of what we're going to do in each episode. And it is funny in Nicaragua, it actually kind of worked out because this is a season in three parts. The first four episodes, which were historians, part one, old versus young. And then as uh, Mike and everybody pointed out, episodes five through nine are really the fall of Marty. There's really no other story here other than Marty fighting his ass off and lasting as long as he can and finally failing. And then once Marty goes, we get episode six through the, or uh, 10 through the end or whatever. And that is basically the collapse of the LaFleur Alliance. And it's really just about Brenda, Sash, and Nayanka. Those are the only three major characters really at the end. So it really arbitrarily worked out how our episodes are going to go with the storyline here. All right, so you guys ready for the fall of Tyrone, the greatest character in Nicaragua? I mean, I do like Caps Lock. (laughs) I I, I hate that I have to explain that joke, but as we've done historians, I explain the inside jokes to people, too. We have a lot of newer listeners. Tyrone was famous for being on the Survivor message boards, and he would always type in in capital letters, so Caps Lock. It always looked like he was screaming at you. So that's the joke about Tyrone. When you talk about him, he's screaming at you in Caps Lock. You know, and and, and the thing is is that he wasn't actually screaming. Like most of the things he was saying were just – very conversational and friendly stuff, but you can't help it, right? When you right. when you see someone typing and the, every word is in all caps, you're just assuming they're yelling at the top of their voice. Well, I was <laughs> you know? yelling, I was yelling in all caps at the beginning of this episode. This is one of the few episodes that's ever been spoiled for me in my life. I was at, I was going to college and I had to take this geology class, and for some reason there was this one geology night lab we had to do on Wednesday night, and I was like. I like remember I posted on Facebook. Like, no one spoiled this for me. Like I like cannot be spoiled in this episode. I have not been spoiled on ep- you know on a, on a, an outcome of an episode since Linda in Survivor Africa. <sighs> and so I go to this class and I come back and I am very careful on everything. And then I know like the CBS episode is going to pop up on their website at like midnight or something like that, ten o'clock my time. And I'm so careful and I get everything ready to go and I go to click on to watch the video and it's like here watch now tyrone's final words and I was like, damn it <laughs> so so they uh, clearly cbs didn't read your facebook status paul <laughs> clearly they didn't get the message so um this was a uh, this brings back some angry memories for me to go if only to go against, if if only you posted them. in a caps lock on facebook they would have listened yeah maybe <laughs> to go against the uh the 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 trend of making fun of montana and to highlight its rural beauty like a geology lab did, did the professor just say all right everyone go outside and pick a rock real quick yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by in. the night lab perspective of it right <laughs> like i can understand from like an, an astrology perspective why you would like need to look at stuff at night why do you need to take night time to go study <laughs> minerals and rocks you you see my frustration i had at the time <laughs> I could just see Paul in the lab, and he's just looking down at this rock on his desk with, like, a microscope, and he's like, hmm, looks the same as it did at 2 p.m. Yeah, exactly. Not God sure what damn I'm it, looking it's too dark here. to see. Now the sun has set. I don't know if something's supposed to come out of the rock now. Well, I wish I had electricity. And I could think about what's the purple rock, and it made me think about Survivor. It made me even more mad. All right. 
let's move away from Montana rage here. So yeah, this is episode five. This is where we just got rid of the old versus young split in Nicaragua. We lose the medallion of power. We lose everything that has made Nicaragua, Nicaragua up to this point. And it's a brand new season. And this is the one I think where basically the edit at the start of the episode where probe says, Marty, the undisputed Svengali on Espada. And then he goes, and then Brenda is the queen of running everything on the floor. So Probst is trying to narrate this as a Brenda versus Marty showdown. It's her tribe against his tribe. And this is where they're going to merge. And it's basically Brenda toying with him the rest of the season. There's nothing that really caters you to to uh, to uh, relate to the 18 to 35 market than to say Svengali. <laughs> yeah, which has always intrigued me, too, because, like, like, is it implying that Marty's some sort of hypnotist or that he's some sort of, like, magic maker? Because, I mean, he, like, got rid of Jimmy Johnson. That's not really, like, the prestige, you know? If, if anything, Marty's more like an amateur street music magician than a Svengali. <laughs> yes. He's the Eisenheim. I think that's the guy's name in The Illusionist. But, uh, yeah, so it's really Marty versus Brenda. That will become the storyline for five episodes. And this is the one they get the twist and all the old people show up and Marty's hair is looking all skewed. Marty's yeah, so, hair so, is a wonderful So, yeah, was, we should talk about that, yeah, because it wasn't mentioned in the first four episodes. And, Mauro, you have had so much fun with this on The Funny 115. Marty's hair is, like, anime-esque. It is that <laughs> spiky, especially when he wears... So he wears the buff in this style, like, he wears it sort of like the headband, and it pushes it up. So it looks even more ridiculous, and it is just, like, gray and sticking out from all angles. I mean, Mara, you, you basically turn it into a ski jump, which is what it is. It's extremely <laughs> angular. It's great. Yeah, Marty's hair. I think I have the 25 best screen caps of Marty's hair. Look up the funny 115 and look at... The entry's called There's Something About Marty. And it's one of my favorites. Yeah, even Marty himself liked that entry. And remember, I'm terrified of Marty, but he liked it, so I was happy. We, we like that entry. <laughs> yes. We are terrified of Marty, and we will only say nice things about him on this podcast. We. Marty's hair in Survivor is, like, as is, is close to what, like, Guile from Street Fighter would look like. <laughs> and, and it's the best, right? Yes. And I even love when they when they're doing the twist here in episode five, Marty walks in and Brenda just giggles yeah. at him. She's like, Marty looks rough. <laughs> I, I wrote down uh, that quote, too. <laughs> this, this this swap is something that I absolutely forgot about. I thought it was just a random swap like all the other ones that we'll face and survive from here on out. I completely forgot that we did like an apprentice style. Here are tribe captains. Pick three people from the other tribe to be on your tribe. Okay, yeah, let's sum this up for people who have not seen this recently. So Brenda is randomly drawn to be a captain, and that's a lot of power for someone who is allegedly already running the game. And then Holly is given the power for the other captain, and Holly gets to steal three people from LaFleur, and Brenda gets to steal or four from from Espada. I might get the numbers wrong, but they're basically raiding the other tribe and taking who they want, and... Just, I, I'm sure you guys have thoughts on this as well, but the interesting thing to me is Brenda steals who th she thinks are the masterminds or the strongest players over on Espada. She steals Jane, Jill, and of course Marty. <laughs> Everyone knows Marty's a big stud. And Holly, for her side over on Espada, steals what looks like the four biggest challenge beasts from LaFleur. Because you gotta remember, LaFleur's been winning all these challenges. And she takes Benry, Nayanka, Chase, and Alina. Who, if you watch these episodes, are clearly the four best challenge people on the floor, especially Nayanka and Benry. So they're both trying to sabotage the other tribe, but in different ways. Yeah, I mean, 
I'll be completely candid here. I think they should have stuck with this method of swapping tribes from here on out. If if they went from two to two, obviously we're doing like the two to three thing. You have to do a random draw. Maybe it's because I'm just so sick of random draw in survivor swaps recently. Yeah. But I, I just really like this because it's a choice and there is strategy involved. Like you said, Mario, you could do a thing where you're trying to pick the best people so that you just stop losing and get to the merge. Or you could pick a group of people that like you think will give you a leg up in the game or a group of people that you might be eyeing. It also helps that if you don't know the dynamics on the other tribe, you might incidentally end up splitting up alliances. Like what it, what's ends up happening here with Holly essentially splitting Brenda and Sash's alliance down the middle. So I think there's a lot of really cool elements that will allow for maximum chaos without ne- necessarily needing to have, you know, everyone drop their buffs and have everything get mishmatched. And also, if you do a random swap, then only Amber changes tribes. <laughs> <laughs> Good callback. Well, well done, Jay. Hey, from many seasons ago. <laughs> you are the Svengali of the podcast, Jay. Wow. Your hair oh. is growing by the millisecond. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god, I'd love to be Guile. <laughs> I was gonna say that the the psychology of how Brenda and Holly pick tribes is actually interesting. And I know people are like, I cannot believe you guys are talking about Nicaragua as if it's interesting, but it actually is. Again, Holly, the Espadas have been getting killed in the challenges. The only challenge beast they really have is Tyrone. If you watch, pay attention to the episodes. Tyrone's their only challenge guy. So Holly just steals all the challenge beasts from LaFleur. And again, I'm going to bring up Benry, uh, Nayanka, and Alina quite a bit. These three are just killers and challenges. And then over on her side, Brenda, who is the cocky one, is thinking strategy, has the alliances, has the numbers. She just tries to take the numbers from the spotter. So I, I, I do think it's very interesting and in you learn a lot about the players just in who they pick. You always got to take the athletic ones, though, you know? <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's sum this up here. Espada, basically, Holly, Dan, Eve, and Tyrone, a couple of nobodies that nobody's ever going to remember from the season, plus the four challenge beasts that they took, Chase, Benry, Nayanka, Lena. It's a 4v4 situation, as Terry would say, from uh, Panama. Uh, LaFleur is a little more interesting because LaFleur is not split quite as evenly. It's basically Brenda still has her alliance for the most part, but they stole Jane, Jill, and Marty, which means Jill and Marty could not be more screwed. They're down five to three against Brenda, blah, blah, blah. Although the big takeaway, I think, for newer fans who are kind of new to Nicaragua is nobody wanted Fabio. Yeah. (laughs) Fabio just comes along. Well, I wonder if it's just because he's so, like, goofy that he was not included in the challenge beast. But, yeah, I mean, I think on paper, it actually could have ended up being a 4-4 situation on New LaFleur, right? Because Fabio was not included in Brenda's alliance. He was left out of that Shannon vote. So, you know, if if things had worked out a bit differently, if Jane wanted to stick with, with Jill and Marty and the way that Marty seems to bond with Fabio, there could have been some stuff there. But evidently, we're going to see Brenda and Sash continue that iron vice grip over LaFleur. And on paper, you look at these tribes, Espada should win every challenge now. They have all the big challenge competitors. So if you look at it, it's kind of stacked. And again, the season does not work out that way. But if you look at it, Espada should be the dominant tribe here. And just and it they does, have Eve. And they know? have Eve, yeah. <laughs> well, but that also comes down to like typical challenges and you think now that the medallion of power is over old and young have mixed like, okay, now we need to we don't need to necessarily equalize challenges based on ages. And then we get Plinko as our first post-swap challenge. <laughs> it, is, it is very clear they designed the challenges that season to be able to run 
um, this twist all the way to the merge. Like they definitely set themselves up for for that, and yeah, that's very evident with uh, all the challenges of the pre-merge. Okay, so you we ready to go to the first challenge here, the Plinko, the uh, Bob Barker Memorial Challenge here? I think uh, the, what a, Jeff says at some point here, you can't ask for anything better than this. <laughs> I just wrote, really? <laughs> like this is the best we could ask for? <laughs> I wonder why I was saying at this time, why do we not just end after heroes versus villains? And, and then I'm reminded by quotes like this. Yeah, this is this is so weird. I mean, we're gonna get we're gonna get to a challenge later on that's literally like a physics puzzle you would do in like seventh grade, right? Of like roll the ball down and have it plink off a tile. Listen, I'm I'm fine with the variances in challenges, but it's just and I know they were obviously limited by the lack of water challenges because of the surf. I mean, we're going to get into the swimming pool in a few episodes, but it's just so weird that the first post-flop challenge is giant Plinko. <laughs> Although that does lead us to the question, wouldn't you have liked to see Jimmy Johnson running around playing Plinko? We missed that. I mean, listen, it would have been a CBS tie, and I'm actually surprised they didn't fly Drew Carey out there for the Price is Right <laughs> crossover, but I guess after Rita need him in the balls, I don't think he wants to be on Survivor anytime soon. Do we explain that? Explain that to our newer listeners. Again, we I've had so many emails from people who just started watching Survivor like last month and they're getting into historians. They may not get that Rita joke. Yeah, I think we talked about this in our Fiji coverage that after she was on Survivor Fiji, Rita Vareos, who was a contestant on that season, appeared on an episode of The Price is Right. And in her excitement running up to the showcase showdown or whatever it was, need host Drew Carey in the balls. And it's, it's a viral clip online and it's just a weird sort of like... <laughs> Uh, network synergy that someone who was on a, another CBS product ends up causing Drew Carey so much harm on another show. That's not network synergy. That's network synergy. <laughs> and also, how dare you try to imply that they ran out of great ideas for challenges and weren't innovating things? How dare you? <laughs> yes. Jay's just happy there's no shuffleboard this season or bowling. Yeah, how do you have an old tribe and not have shuffleboard? That is a, such a flaw. Well, not even like shuffleboard, but I feel like with Plinko, like this is one of those where like maybe this is a challenge that Jeff doesn't attend, right? <laughs> Just has a little a list of rules here. Play Plinko. You know, like like uh like like in Samoa when they had you know yeah, like with, when they played bocce you know, when they played bocce they like Jeff didn't even bother to attend <laughs> like if you're gonna play Plinko just leave Jeff out of it just just write a note like we all get it it's fine. <laughs> Now, in its defense, this is kind of a fun scene to watch. But again, as I said, Espada has most of the challenge beasts. They win the first challenge. They win the reward here, which is uh, two chickens and a rooster, if I recall. Mm -hmm. Which is going to obviously come to much more. I mean, Paul, like you said, it's it's a little old school in surprisingly how food focused this group of episodes is going to be. That That's really what I think of when we talk about old school. And the chickens are going to be, of course, as they always are, a big source of drama almost immediately for Espada. <laughs> Okay, let's let's yada yada over some stuff here. So Espada wins the first reward challenge. Again, they're all the challenge beasts. They go back to their camp, and it's four V4. You got four oldies, four youngies. And uh, Tyrone immediately says, this is how we do it. These are the rules. You're going to follow this. And the kids don't like that. And guess what? This is the episode Tyrone's going to be voted out. <laughs> so what are, what are the logistics here? So you got the four olds, the four youngs, but Holly has never felt like she was part of the older tribe. They shunned her. They fluffed her off. She was the ugly duckling like Jane. And so she immediately bonds with the young people. And I'd forgotten how how 
parallel the two tribes were. This yes, will happen yeah. to both tribes. Jane and Holly side with the young people, and that's really going to determine the rest of the season. The old people never have a chance after this. That was one of the things I wrote down that I, I really kind of liked about the, the storytelling of what was happening in this stretch of episodes. Obviously, a, a very minor storyline in comparison to everything happening with Marty or even some other characters, but I thought that was really cool that we had these two older women figures that it's pretty much the same things happening on both sides, both left on the outs. Um, and now, you know, finding, finding safe Haven with the young people. So I thought that was cool. Uh, rewatching and it, this section and immediate repercussions, right? Because on that Jimmy T vote, the only two people left out of that vote were Jane and Holly. So chalk it up to yet another, you know, unfortunate piece of luck when it comes to the way the swap rolled out, that these people end up being divided. So it's almost like this, this big massive LaFleur Alliance that Mario speak, speaks about can sort of like divide the their resources and recruit various people to their causes so by the time the merge rolls around they're like yeah we don't need alita now we're gonna be able to like steamroll through this group of guys moving forward yeah that's definitely the picture that you guys need to take away if you haven't watched this season in a while that the old tribe never has a chance in this season they get dominated physically early on then they get split up because jane and holly both get shunned and then during this twist jane and holly take a chance to sabotage the rest of the old people on on both of their tribes so they will never have a chance it will really be a young person season the rest of the way so we see holly making inroads with the young people on the spada we go over to lafleur jane's doing the same thing with lafleur she's like yeah but but jane is making much more colorful metaphors than holly is right doesn't <laughs> doesn't she compare marty and jill to ticks humping each other <laughs> Yes. Yeah, Jane has much more colorful soliloquialisms than Holly's South Dakota ones, which are not quite as fun as the South, as the North Carolina ones. Now, let's just keep in mind how difficult in South Dakota it is to manage a swim team in South Dakota with a small group of, you know, swimmers at a high school. So she does come from a lot of, you know, adversity and a lot of different types of people. Well, doesn't she say Dakota. that? She's like, oh, you remind me of my daughter and you remind me of my son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And they're like, Holly, do you know any other people? <laughs> My first thought was like, okay, so you pick like the, these two two younger white people in their twenties are like your kids. Okay, that that was my first oh, thought. Oh, like, yeah, you're yeah, you by the name of Benry, you remind me of my son. <laughs> and you, Neonka, you're a black person. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they they edited that part off. That one even back then, that would not have played. <laughs> yes. So Holly making inroads with the kids on Espada, Jane on the other side. And, of course, Jane hates Marty. And by by extension, she hates Jill. So Marty and Jill have walked into the most hostile work environment they ever could walk into with five people who already think Marty's a snake. And Jane saying, you know, Marty's the devil and Jill's the devil. And they humping each other like ticks. And so Marty and Jill could not be more screwed. Although, give it, you got to give it up to Marty – but kissing like a pro when he gets to the floor. Oh, uh, yeah. And see, this is the thing is that, like, as much as you could say, like, it's tragic what happens to Marty, the, it's like Marty causes so much of his demise as well over the course of this episode. And it starts here where, you know, again, the image of Marty is like maybe he's a little bit holier than thou or he, like, looks down on people. Cut to Marty being like, wow, taking stuff from the fruit basket, that is cancerous. Oh, by the way. <laughs> I'm above it all. I'm going to share that I have the idol with you just to show how much of an honorable guy I am. Yeah, let's go through Marty's highlight reel here. So he comes to LaFleur. He's totally neutered. He will never have an ounce of power the rest of the game. 
<laughs> First off, he tells everyone, you know, these are the tasks we did on La Flora. We were workaholics. We should work over here. And we cut to Fabio with the greatest look on his face, like, I'm not working, man. No way. <laughs> and then, then we find out that, that Marty has the idol. And Marty finds out about all the dynamics on La Flora. He hears about the bananas being smushed which is he's horrified. It's like, you let Nayanka get away with that? I cannot believe. So Marty's already trying to throw his weight around, even though he can't. But yeah, he holds, he hangs his idol up on a tree just to tell everyone he has one. And let's all use it together. Come on, guys, just work with me. We, so, we. <laughs> yes. And then Kelly B's leg flies off. It's just classic drama over at LaFleur. Anything else we need to say about this? Other than this is really no. just the Marty show. It's all, well, it's all Marty. You say that, but then we cut to this next scene where, like, a torrential downpour comes in. And something that I also did not remember, because I thought, obviously, this is going to be the season that's remembered for two people quitting unprecedented in the middle of the game. And we also have a little bit with Holly wanting to quit. I had forgotten how literally the theme of quitting is, like, basically the subtitle of Survivor Nicaragua. Where even in the course of this middle batch of episodes where nobody has quit yet... Literally, everybody is either going to, A, want to quit the game, or B, have some sort of thoughts about quitting the game. And it starts here, right, where Nayanka really is not feeling the rain, and this is what, really the beginning of the slow, boulder roll of, I'm not, you know, I'm not good toughing it out right now, I want to leave the game as soon as possible. Yeah, this might be more of a Paul question than anybody else, but Nicaragua is easily considered one of the harshest conditions of any season, right? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, and it's kind of interesting, those, I feel like it kind of reminds me a lot of uh, what we see happen in Panama with the all-star season and stuff, with how much, you know, the rain was so bad and stuff. I think we get to these Central American locations, and if it's a bad, um, you know, weather season, it ends up being one of the, the harsher environments for them. Yeah. So just saying that in the player's defense, that the producers have always said they'd never wanted to come back here again because the weather conditions were too harsh. And this will lead to several people quitting, wanting to quit. As Mike said, it becomes a drinking game. Just to take a drink every time someone talks about quitting or thoughts about quitters because that becomes a major subplot. But this is, again, another one of those huge torrential downpours, rainstorm, windstorms, and Nayanka wants to quit. Although we do have to point out she was anemic, right? There's actually kind of a defense with her. And, I, and she also points out, much like you pointed out with, with Purple Kelly last time, Mario, that she was also, I think, one of the people that was given very few clothes mm -hmm. on the island just due to her casting type. And she even makes mention of that right now, right? She's like, hey, we don't have a tarp anymore, and I have no clothes. And for some reason, the stupid old people built their shelter right next to the ocean when the breezes come in. So, like, I am just miserable right now. Yeah. So we'll defend Nayanka a little bit. Obviously, she is a very polarizing character, but she is very much in the same situation as Purple Kelly, with, with the def with the difference being the LaFleurs won a tarp last episode, in the fourth episode, and Nayanka was just cruelly torn away from that tarp and thrown onto a spot where they have no tarp. So now she's back to where she was before, and Purple Kelly has the tarp she doesn't. So Nayanka's really suffering here. But it's so, again, this speaks towards the odd like, micro-storytelling in Survivor Nicaragua is, like, we'll occasionally get, like, two to three-minute scenes of character development that come out of nowhere. 
Because, right, you think this entire scene is like, oh, Nayanka wants to quit. You know, you have Alina being the surprising shoulder for her to cry on. And then here comes Chase with some random personal development being like, yeah, I'm going to comfort you by also revealing how tragic my dad's death is. And it's almost like backdoor character building for Chase. And that, like, now we know something about him that comes off the back of Nayanka wanting to quit. Yeah, let's talk about Chase's edit here for a second. Again, people think there's nothing interesting going on in Nicaragua, but from a storytelling point of view from production, it's fascinating because you can see the producers struggling how they're going to tell the ending of this season. And I don't know where I hate to spoil, but you probably already know Fabio beats Chase and Sash at the end. But Chase's edit along the way is the weirdest thing for a guy who comes within one vote of winning Survivor because he's literally getting a winner's edit in this episode and the next episode where he gets all this backstory and he's all heroic. And then they're going to immediately torpedo him right after that and give him the worst edit ever. Did you guys notice that? Yeah, I mean, it's so strange. I mean, it always goes back to Brenda, right? Because, like, it's such, I mean, it's like the weather where we talked about this in episode one, Brenda was literally vocalized like, wow, Chase is a terrible player. Then we get, you know, everyone yelling at him in episode two. Now he's like, oh, he's personally comforting Nayanka. He's in a position of power next episode, as you point out. And then we get to the merge and Brenda's like, wow, Chase is a really just terrible player in person. It's just, I don't know what they want us to think about him. Yeah, you have to justify again. And, and I think that it goes back to the point of, People don't like a season when they don't necessarily love the winner, right? And, you know, with our winner being Fabio, you have to, you know, a lot of times we say the edit or the narrative of a season is why the winner won. But sometimes you tell that story in in, in the ways of how the losers lost, right? And with Fabio, it's kind of like, all right, let's talk about Fabio. Let's not. Let's look at... You know, Chase and Sash, right? And it's like, with Sash, they're like, Sash is smart, but Sash is not very nice. And then they're like, Chase is nice! So I guess we have to go with the not smart angle, right? So, like, you see these things of Chase relating and being, you know, uh, like a very comforting and down-to-earth guy, but you have to play up the fact that maybe Chase couldn't quite put it all together. And so then you just, you know, and, and it's not, I'm not saying that he's a really smart guy that they've, like, falsely edited or... This is exactly who he is, but they're really going to play up mistakes that Chase makes or stuff mm -hmm. when people say they don't think that Chase is that bright for some reason. And so these are the things that are going to get highlighted, and boy, do they highlight them later. <laughs> yeah, but again, they really highlight the good ones, too. Oh, my father died. I'm going to give you a share a touching memory. And then with Jane, you know, we bond because your husband died. My father died. Let's be let's be honest, North Carolina allies like he gets a really great edit. And this is the one thing that I just want to get across to people. If you think nothing interesting is going on in Nicaragua, watch Chase's edit. It's crazy. All right, let's get to the immunity challenge here. Oh, this is torture. This is literal torture. <laughs> this is the Amish dunking wheel. Uh, yeah, where people are on a wheel and they're strapped to it and they rotate upside down with their head underwater, <laughs> being pushed by someone else as they suck in water and bring it in their mouth and then spit it into a bucket when they come above the surface. And I am absolutely with you on this one, Mike. This is a terrifying challenge. This one scares me watching it. Because at least with, like, the last gasp one, right, the infamous, like, bars in the rising tide that they did in, in Palau and Micronesia and I think Karamoan, like, you at least can control 
your own fate, essentially. These poor three people are essentially getting waterboarded, and it can be as frequent as, like, once every two seconds, or as slow as, like, once every ten seconds, but you keep getting dunked underwater while being upside down, which is disorienting enough, and you're spinning around. It just seems like, I don't know, like, I wouldn't say throw the challenge, which I do believe this is the challenge that they end up throwing next season to get rid of Russell, but, like, I would personally would would refuse to be on that wheel personally, no matter what the outcome of the challenge would have been. This is another one where I'm just like, who thought this was a good idea, right? <laughs> like, who who like built this and was like, I'm just gonna build like a big fucking wheel and I'm gonna put people on it and they're gonna like just be literally like tortured. I mean, this is literally out of the, the Inquisition, yeah. right? The Inquisition song from uh, History <laughs> of the World Part One, yeah, right? They're like, we're we're gonna do that, and someone's just like. Are you sure that's a good idea? And they just kind of looked at it for a second and went, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a good idea. We're going to go with it. Heroes. Yeah, we're past heroes versus villains. Fuck it. Go with it. <laughs> yeah, we need to get take this show into edgy new places. Like, we're going to drown people. And you can you can see it. That's the thing. Your greatest fear is that the people on the top are going to forget about you at the bottom, and they're going to leave you with your head underwater. And it actually happens at the end with Brenda, if you notice that. that they, they leave her underwater for a second, she screams. Oh my god. Yeah, it's I mean that's that's the main takeaway from this outside of like again like you said Mario, on paper you would think a spotter runs away with this, especially we end the challenge with a throwing segment with Benry and Tyrone who have been like the stars of the ball throwing the past four episodes, but they choke. They, choke. they lose out to yeah. they lose out to Fabio um, and Jane. Yeah, Jeff is wrong in the in the reward challenge. It does get better than that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that, again, to put this into a narrative, this is Tyrone has been dominating these challenges. So has Benry. For some reason, the two of them choke at the end of this challenge. A spot is way ahead. They should win it. And of all people, Fabio comes and seals this win away from them from Espada. And that's is like again the first time Tyrone's going to be uh, in danger because he just blew a challenge, and this will be his last episode. But he was a dominant figure in these episodes up to this point. It's just now there's no reason for him anymore. They He blows the challenge. Espada goes to Tribal Council. Holly has turned on the old people. It's going to be either Eve, Dan, or Tyrone. And Tyrone makes the fundamental problem that he starts bossing the young people around. And this is where we get the chicken scene, right? Yeah, where basically it's it's like Tyrone... You know, everyone wants to kill the chicken. Tyrone's like, I personally disagree because I worry about our egg production, the old, you know, like Clarence Baron argument. And then they end up killing the chicken. And I guess Tyrone, like, not only is fine eating it despite his protestations, but like, I guess eats more than others. It really just does seem like icing on top of the cake for reasons to get rid of him. But it is something that gets sort of brought up here because I think the big drama is more so like, okay, Nyanka wants to quit. Do they get rid of her? Do they get rid of Tyrone, who's strong in challenges, but is getting on everyone's nerves? Yeah, and obviously we don't know if the food thing was the only reason Tyrone was voted out. I'm assuming it's just five versus three, and he's the strongest spot. I'm guessing that's probably the biggest reason. It's just you can knock off the strongest old person. But yeah, it's the, the food drama, Tyrone telling everyone, all right, we're going to eat a chicken, but look out for your neighbor. Don't eat more than your neighbor. And then Tyrone eats all the food, chicken and nobody else gets any. <laughs> so it doesn't look well. And then we go to tribal council and it all comes up. Is Tyrone the leader over here? And Alina's like, Tyrone treats us like children. Yeah, he's, I don't like Tyrone. And really, that, that's about it. That's it for Tyrone's story here. Yeah, though I will say something that's interesting, if we're talking about more character development, Nayanka at Tribal Council talks about her divorce at 26. And, you know, she says that it really informs a lot of, like, 
how quote unquote messed up she was coming into this game, but she astounds Jeff essentially by being like, I felt more comfortable here with a safety net of complete strangers than I did in my real life when after my divorce, I felt like I had no support whatsoever. And I like the implication that she was messed up back then, but the Nyanka we're seeing now, this is the one who has it all together. <laughs> I was weird back then, Jeff. <laughs> Do you guys have anything else to say about Tyrone other than the caps lock thing, which, as Jay pointed out, that was a big thing. Tyrone was active on the message boards back then. He talked to fans a lot. But the caps lock thing was hilarious, and everybody talked about it. Who knew he was going to get voted out? Oh, wait, I did not going into it. No, so no further comments. Damn you, geology. (laughs) Nighttime geology has foiled me. Now I have this, like, image of, like, every time Paul sees, like, a rock formation, he just, like, slowly sees in anger. I often curse out that geology course and huge rocks. (laughs) Paul hates the earth. You know who would have loved that Deb? I wish Deb could have attended that class. (laughs) I'm surprised she didn't teach the class. (laughs) Okay, well, we lose Tyrone again. Not really a biggie. The next couple characters we lose would not be that big a deal to the season. We we kind of joked about this being the parade of the nobodies part of the season. But we do have to point out, this is the rise of one of the greatest and most influential characters in Survivor history, Benry. Because when he votes out Tyrone, he says, time to dethrone the king of Espada. Benry's here, baby. And then he knocks over the bell that's the paperweight, and everybody laughs at him. he says, my bad. (laughs) Benry is definitely, like, one of those. Like, I I know, Mario, you keep saying reasons for people to watch Nicaragua. Please watch Nicaragua for Benry, because we get so little Benry content, but when we do, it's the weirdest fucking thing on Earth that he has these little random moments that just come out of nowhere. A guy who barely speaks in this season, but whenever he does, when he opens his mouth, something strange comes out of it. He's a challenge beast. He dominates almost every challenge, but other than that, all he ever does is knock over the paperweight, announce that Benry's here, he high-fives people, and he says, woo, uh, a lot. He well, he also makes little, he's going to make little bro comments in the, not this episode, but the next episode about the tiny balls that they have in the challenge. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Benry, one of the most unintentionally entertaining characters in Survivor history. I have no idea what to make of this guy. He just pops in and pops out like Creed on The Office, kind of. He's just there. (laughs) Although, I have to point out, just the comedian in me cannot resist pointing out that when Benry gives his little speech about Benry's here, baby, he says, time to dethrone the King of Espada. But it kind of sounds like, it's kind of sounds like time to deep throat the King of Espada. (laughs) <laughs> which is a whole different storyline just listen for that and he's he mumbles that phrase it sounds kind of odd so we're done with tyrone caps lock off yeah because i would say that i think voting off even kelly b here is the exact opposite of caps lock it's, it's all lower caps actually no capitalization whatsoever yeah if you want to talk about getting rid of two purplish forgettable characters in one episode kelly b and eve in a double boot this pretty much takes the cake how dare you? I I have written down many iconic Eve lines from this episode. You know, the funny thing is Eve seems like she's probably a strong player. She just right. has I mean, no they, point they in say They target yeah. her because she's playing hard. That's what's kind of unfortunate. So if anyone – I don't have anything against Eve. It's more against the way Eve was presented on the show because they gave us nothing right. of her. So don't take it personally because I feel like I would like Eve if they actually showed us more of her. I mean, Reeve essentially was voted out because she's not Dan Lembo. How tragic is that? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, on paper, she looks like she comes off. She has many of the mannerisms of like a T-Bird, Tina Weston. Like, she seems like she should be a strong character, but that, unfortunately, she's just forgotten. And, and as Paul said, there are no iconic Eve moments, unfortunately. And that's, that's just the way it goes on Survivor sometimes. You hate to say it. Well, so this episode starts off so oddly, right? Because, you know, we've really been instituting this sort of, like, cold open on Survivor where there'll be, like, a two- or three-minute scene before they cut to the credits and then the episode proper. Here, it's just Dan approaching Holly being like, all right, I'm done. You know, he's, he's like, I'm done with the rain. And then Holly's like, oh, yeah, you know, I wanted to quit a while back, and now Dan wants to quit credits. And that's it. <laughs> it has no real, like, reference to the, to the, they reference it briefly in the episode proper, but it felt like so completely detached from literally everything else going on. It was like a secret scene that they had two extra minutes for, so they put it in here. Dan, you're an old guy. You remind me of this guy, Jimmy Johnson, who used to be on our tribe. Oh, you remind me of the skeleton in the science labs. <laughs> Got the same knees, too. Yeah. So this is the, like Mike Mike said, last week, last episode is the Nayanka wants to quit episode. This is the Dan wants to quit episode. <laughs> Holly just talking crap about all these old these quitters now, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the only other really major thing in this one is that Eve asks Holly, why did you vote out Tyrone last episode and not tell me? Which now means Eve is on the out. So Eve is going to be a very easy vote in this episode. And I think we're up to uh, what happens here. We go to LaFleur. It's just Marty and Jill talking about how the LaFleurs are all idiots. How Marty's like. How Marty says, yeah, they fell into Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yes. It's just the two of them against these goofy kids who aren't close at all and are running around like chickens with their heads cut off and they can't do anything. So anyway. I go to the first, the immunity challenge here, and this is the infamous double boot episode where both tribes go to tribal council, the uh, Vanuatu Memorial Challenge, the first season they did that. Yeah, and this is a weird individual challenge, right? Like, again, a little limited in both, I guess, age and uh, landscape, but it's what? You have a basket on your butt, and you have to throw rope rings using a paddle into your butt basket and do that three times and you won immunity. Does it get any better than that? I mean, it keeps getting better and better and better <laughs> at this rate. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do part three. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is the one. They, there's all these rope pieces of rope rings buried in the sand. They have to dig it up with a paddle, fling it over their shoulder into a basket on their butt. and That looks like a toilet. <laughs> looks like a toilet. Like a potty train or some some <laughs> some device. Oh, is that like is that sort of like a baby Bjorn but for potty training? <laughs> yes. I was gonna say like, you know, we we've made fun of Plinko where we we've made fun of like you know the fact that they were like we have a big wheel and we have a pool wheel pool and you know all of this sort of stuff and now they're like we need more challenges we're out of ideas. What do they do at like wedding and baby showers? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next individual immunity challenge, lick the diaper and figure out what chocolate is in there. Wait, do they actually do stuff like this at baby showers? I should ask Paul. Do they do this stuff at baby showers? Well, uh, we'll see uh, how we can do that virtually, but because it does seem very much like a, uh, a typical baby shower in uh, non-pandemic times. <laughs> uh, for those for those listening and not to spill tea... Paul is not, Paul and Paul and his wife are not pregnant. It's it, he's attending a baby shower virtually soon, so that's why we're needling him on this. So, so we're not it's going to be hard to play with the animal's nipples virtually, but we'll we're gonna try to make it work. <laughs> Just fluff them off; it's easier. You can milk your own virtual milk. 
Boy, these episodes of Survivor, am I telling you what? <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking. Does I'm, it get any better than this? I'm just laughing. Marty, the ultimate Survivor strategist and warlord. He's out there competing and trying to get back in the game. And they're throwing challenges at him like this. Which I just find that hilarious that Marty's like, I'm trying to compete. And they're throwing diaper baby shower games at me. Are you kidding me? And fittingly, Marty does not win. Holly wins immunity for Espada, of course, because you'd think she'd be good at this one. And Jill wins for LaFleur. Yeah, and then it's sort of yada yada. They have, you know, Jill and Holly throw throw up down on the very enthralling ring toss competition for beef kebabs. <laughs> no beef stew, but we're continuing the tradition of eating on the losers festivities. But it looks like LaFleur is going to go first, which is unfortunate. It sort of is like the heroes versus villains thing where if you were able to edit out of order, you would put the LaFleur one and the villains one second because they are by far the more confusing and enthralling votes. But unfortunately, we're going to have to end here on Eve getting voted out instead of the whole Kelly B mass confusion. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this here. So both tribes are going to tribal council. LaFleur, Jill, Dr. Jill, Marty's right-hand man, has one immunity. So Marty is the only one who's really vulnerable on LaFleur tonight because Jane has joined with the kids. So it's really everybody against Marty. They can't vote for Jill, so nothing else they can do. But Marty's got this hidden immunity idol. So it gets very tricky here. And I, just as a comedian, happen to love the scene where they're all talking about how they're going to split the votes between Kelly B. and Marty. But it's challenging because you have to deal with Fabio who is such a wild card, they cannot predict what he will do. So they're all trying to work around Fabio, who is completely unpredictable. And who right now is learning some other stuff about Marty, particularly his apparent prowess at chess. <laughs> all right, does anybody here know chess? Who's the best chess player of the, the four of us? It's not me. I know that. Jay, we're going to pick you. Oh, God. <laughs> you have a you have a chess like voice. Yeah, Jay feels I mean, I, like someone I, I, who I have chess. I have played chess, but but before people like challenge me online, you will wipe the floor with me. But let's keep. No, Jay, you beat Guillermo Vias twice as a kid. We know. Yes. So Jay, I will hand you the honor as the resident chess master here. Explain this Guillermo Vias story to people who may have not watched it in a while. So, uh, you know, Marty is is trying to talk to to old Fabio, to young Fabio. And tell him that he is a grandmaster at chess, which is uh, a level of chess playing that very few people achieve. Uh, but it is a very real thing that you can do. And he was talking about how, you know, uh, you know, when, when he was younger, because, you know, chess is chess is not like a, a thing with with athletic prowess and blah, blah, blah. It's 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 smarts and, and strategy. Right. And sometimes people have an affinity for it at a young age. And that's the whole like, you know, Bobby Fischer realm and blah, 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 is that as a young person, you can go and you know, rise up and become this young child prodigy, which is what Marty is selling and saying that as a young child, he beat Guillermo Villas, who was this great chess grandmaster. But folks, Google Guillermo Villas for me. Uh, and if you do so, you can see that Guillermo Villas was very, very good at tennis. <laughs> Marty thought probably thought that was the funniest thing ever, but it really doesn't work if you don't know Guillermo Villas, Guillermo Villas to begin with. So I was like, okay, well, I'm glad you pulled that story off, Marty. But you pulled one like, over on Fabio. Good job. It's, it's 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 this like extra layer, right? Where like it's funny mm -hmm. to Marty because he's like, I oh, I, I said a guy who was this thing, but he really was this other thing. Whereas Mar Fabio probably just heard a name and was like, oh, that's cool. 
Yes. Yeah, he heard a first name and a last yeah. name. He's like, I'm going to assume that's a person. <laughs> and then Fabio's like, what's chess, by the way? <laughs> well, it almost, uh, to that point, it almost is sort of like a degree removed from the whole John Rocker, John Wetland story, yeah. right? Like, when you know the context, it makes it even better. Yeah, no. And in his defense, I know Fabio's a very smart guy, but it's like a, at a poker table. You walk up to a poker table, you try to pick out who the sucker is. It's really easy when you walk into LaFleur. You know, Fabio's the one I can probably pull something over with because he's kind of an airhead. So <laughs> Marty has successfully picked out the one person he's impre- he, he can impress. And Fabio, I don't. again, I don't know. I never saw any interviews with Fabio. Did he actually care about this story or is he just nodding because he hears words and he likes words? But he's like, oh, wow, yeah, Marty, that makes sense, man, that he's always thinking of numbers. So I'm on board, man. Like, sign me up, which is such a Fabio thing to say. Well, it, it's an oversell, right? I mean, you know, we don't need to know whether he cared about the story or not. I mean, you know, Marty's pleading his case, right? I mean, that's the whole thing is that we're going into the story. I, it's just akin to like, you know, if you, you know, hiked deep into the Amazon and you found some tribe of Amazonians who's, you know, never – you know, seen or, or, or heard of human civilization before. And after you get through the language barrier, you'd like teach them poker. And you're like, you know, I'm really good at poker back then. I've beaten the legendary poker player, Meryl Streep many times. <laughs> that sounds more like a coach story, but yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, the thing is, is like, they're just like, okay, so you beat some person. They're like, I guess they were good at poker. And you're like, but they're not. Meryl Streep's an actress. I'm totally no, you don't understand. I just, I punked you. You stupid person. <laughs> <laughs> big dummy you, were, you didn't even know you were completely fooled <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is one of the standout scenes of nicaragua people tend to remember the guillermo vias chess story which again does so well explaining marty's character does so well explaining fabio's character and there will be repercussions because fabio wants to kind of protect marty now he's like well marty's smart Marty has an idol. We should really not vote him out, which will fluster his alliance to no end because Fabio's the only one who wants to protect Marty. But yeah, it's kind of there's actually some repercussions to the story. But this is just a great scene, one of my favorites. This this is an example to me of, you know, what we never really think about a lot of times when we watch Survivor. We've we've said this a million times on this podcast is that, you know, we are watching roughly three days of a game of of the time on Survivor in like 42 minutes. And there is so much stuff that we don't see. And, and, and of the stuff we don't see, there's just a lot of time where people are just out there thinking, right? Like maybe you're mm. doing a task. Maybe you're, you know, trying to stay warm. Maybe you're like going for a swim, but like there's no phone. There's no TV. There's no lights or motor car or other single luxuries. There's, there's like nothing out there. And so what, what you do is you think, right? And so Marty was like, I need to convince Fabio of something. Oh, I'm going to tell him I'm a chess grandmaster. That's cool. Oh, I'm going to tell him I beat this, you know, and it's like, then this story goes up in his head and it's like, now he's getting too cute for his own good. And it's like, you know, you, you can, you can tell stories and, and, and snow over people. And you, sometimes you have to do that to like secure alliances or, or shore up some, some sort of voting block or something like that. But like, this is an example of Marty who like way overthought this story and was like really mm-hmm. proud of like this, this like overthinking. And it's like, man, you know, this, this literally could have been about 30% less and it probably <laughs> would have been just fine. You know? Yeah. I don't think, I, I don't think Fabio is like, wait a minute. If you're a chess master, name the famous Argentinian who you beat when you were a child. Otherwise your story has no legs, old man. <laughs> This because is like, I, only, I did an advanced calculus problem in front of my dog. He's going to be really impressed. Yeah, 
the only thing that this can do is backfire because you are supplying way more information than is needed, right? So, like, again, Fabio's probably thinking this is first name, last name. But let's say on the off chance that Fabio knows either chess or tennis, he now, like, let's say Fabio knew who this guy was, who who knew who Guillermo Villas was, and he goes, wait a minute, you're telling one over on me. And it's like, your cute story has now backfired. You don't need it. You know, like, yeah. it, it just, like, it's one of those things where, like, this is only bad for Marty. And it, it didn't play out in either way, and it served its purpose and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, it, it, it you could have had so much less information to the story, and it would have done the same effect. And, in fact, doing all of this stuff and getting super cute with it could have backfired. But that's that's also Marty's, like, one of his crucial flaws, right, is that he's too cute by half. Yeah. I think he's someone who's looking at two paths in front of him, and he's looking for something that is, like— simple but less flashy and one that like takes you straight through Candyland, where it's twists and turns but infinitely like more disturbances and obstacles and he's like give me that one please and i don't know part of that is like the coaching thing of like oh i want to make good television how much of that is just like marty as a showman himself but we're gonna see over the course of this episode that like he is going to make just like big flashy heart he arguably did it in getting rid of jimmy t right of just like this might not be the simplest smartest thing to do especially in getting rid of jimmy t over dan but you know what it's the most fun thing to do and so i'm gonna do something really fun right now even if it might not pay out for me uh, without knowing him personally or anything like that, it seems like there's a lot of with Marty. He wants to gain control of the situation. Right. And whether that's, you know, actually being in charge or or just, you know, intellectually in his mind, you know, taking control of the situation. I wonder if that is the equivalent to this, because as you said, you know, he's had a lot of a lot of the stuff he's built up has literally just been ripped away from him lately. So, like, being able to craft the story and, you know, tell this entire big fable to fabio is sort of a uh a, a sense of that i gotta test something out here i'm gonna just approve your point here jay so paul when i was in high school i was a really good baseball player that mm-hmm. i my high school produced many great baseball players over the years and it was kind of a baseball factory and a couple of years before i graduated famous third baseman john olerud graduated from my high school did you know that whoa i didn't know that i know I'm going to let you in on a secret. John Olerud was a first baseman. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, wow. You should <laughs> see the wow. look oh, on you, my face. Oh, my God. You're covered in egg right now, Paul. He got you so good, <laughs> you fucking dumb idiot. Hey, okay, enough. You proved your point. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's what the story was, basically. <laughs> now, okay, I also like, so, how you went, I like how you went with John Olerud as in, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the guy who perpetually wore a helmet at all times. I don't know that. Is, did he really wear a helmet? Didn't he wear oh, a helmet in the yeah. field? Of course I know. Yeah, John Ollard went to my high school. Yeah. Oh, he got you so good oh. like you didn't know. <laughs> you idiot, you moron. I mean, it makes sense, man. I mean, I can see why he'd wear a helmet. I get it, man. I'm on board. Sign me up. All right, we'll move on. Too much baseball talk. We're turning off our core audience. All right, so, so yeah, so Fabio is kind of uh, in in – in uh, Marty's pocket as much as he can be. Let's go over to Espada where nothing interesting is happening because the vote is so obviously going to be for Eve unless Dan quits. It's really, is Dan going to be worthless enough and quit even though, and he sucks in challenges, he offers us nothing, he gripes about Yeah, Nyanka Nyan says at a certain point sooner or later he's going to be walking on nubs, which yeah. all I can imagine is like Dan having no feet or shin bones, just sort of like hobbling around on nubs at a certain point. And again, they're not featuring on Eve, but like you could just see like Eve's just like 
wait, you're, you're going to vote for me and not Dan? Like, are you serious? Like, is this serious? Is this real life? <laughs> yeah, Dan has a Range Rover and a Ferrari. He doesn't need Survivor. <laughs> yeah, I got to point out again, Nayanka gets so much hate from people. But I know she's out there doing shtick, telling jokes, and she's the one who said that line. Like, we got to vote out Dan because in a couple days he's going to be walking around on nubs. <laughs> that is a great line. That's all Nayanka. But yeah, so, and I mean, so it really does come down to, like, Eve versus Dan, and it's more so that, like, they're pieces, almost, that the younger coalition on the tribe is like, alright, who do who do we want to take into the merge? Because now the merge is starting to turn, and Eve unintentionally digs her grave, power player Eve, by basically being like, hey, just so you know, uh, at the merge, I know Jill, Jane, and Marty much better than Dan does, and so they're essentially they're telling them, like, hey, I like these three people better than you, and I'm gonna flip on you at the merge, so please vote me out right now. Great editor's joke here. This is one I featured on the Funny 115. It's one of the very first entries on version 3 where they're pointing out how useless Dan is, how he doesn't move, how he's pointless. And they have a sloth. It's a shot of a sloth in a tree laying upside down looking back at the camera. And we immediately dissolve to Dan in the exact same pose, laying on his back in the shelter, doing nothing. It's a wonderful little editor's joke. I don't know if everyone catches that. It's funny. Yeah, I do like when they occasionally incorporate, like, the wildlife in, like, the infamous Suri Owl back in uh, Exile Island. And I do like, yeah, I, it took me a little while to point it out until you actually mentioned it, but I, I really like that comparison. Because, unfortunately, that's going to have to be Dan from here on out. Is like, he has quips that are funny occasionally, and he's going to have really odd moments, like the way he embraces his son or, like, his irascible final words after he gets voted out. But otherwise, he's regarded as, like, a literal piece of lumpy furniture <laughs> at the camp from here on out. Here's my favorite Dan line. When they're milking their own milk and he sees the cow's nipple, he's like, I think I dated that girl once. Yeah, and everyone rolls their eyes because like, okay, you're that uncle at that <laughs> wedding, right? Yeah, okay. So, again, the vote's going to be Eve or Dan's going to quit. It's really simple at Espada. Let's go to LaFleur here where they're all planning to split the vote. And, again, Fabio is the biggest speed bump. And this is where I have to ask. Is there anybody in their right mind who was predicting Fabio was going to win the season at this point when they're actively trying to play around him? And Sash is like, we got to split the vote. We got to draw Marty's idol out. And Fabio's like, do we want to draw Marty's idol out? And Sash is like, yes, Fabio, we do. It's like, this is Fabio's whole storyline until like episode 10. Serious question. Does anyone rem remember Panurge on Survivor Sucks? I know the name. I don't remember no. specifics. What about them? Uh, Panurge was a was a poster um, on there, uh, and I remember his avatar was like a tree frog of some sort. And um, Panurge would do sort of, you know, his Edgic-like stuff where he would sort of break down uh, an episode. But instead of having like Edgic ratings like MORP and all that sort of stuff, he, he would just sort of break down the edit and then talk about who Panurge, he or she, would, would, would think would, would win the season. And some of the season's... You know, it, it would it would change sometimes. It wasn't always the same person all the way through, uh, you know, it, and it isn't like a follow the star or, you know, the dog that didn't bark. But it was just a, a sort of predictive sort of thing. But but Penridge was also right sometimes and wrong. And my question is, Penridge was active around this time. Was there a Nicaragua one and were they guessing Fabio? Like, I don't know. I know that this season was pretty heavily spoiled. So I, I, if they were, I, I do wonder how much their thumb might have been on the oh, scale sure. of like, hey, look at Fabio, yeah. look at Sash, look at Chase. I know that. Uh, I know that so I don't, I don't remember personally. I know that that was happening. Like I never read those posts and went, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's some extra information going into this, you know, 
perhaps like I don't know. I don't I don't want to make an assumption one way or the other, but uh, I don't want to sit here and say, yeah, there was someone on sucks that was, you know, mm-hmm. that was unspoiled and making a million really great predictions. But I don't know. Like, you know, when you're like, is anyone predicting Fabio to win the season? I was like, I don't know. What was Pan Urge doing on sucks? Yeah. See, I tried to stay away from Edgic because I always considered it like spoilers. So I didn't read those threads specifically. So if there was someone, I don't remember. I never read. I never read those during the season. Like after the season, I'd go back and read, you know. I, I do know. Okay. I have a friend, you guys may know him named Justin Lesniewski, which I, I always butcher the pronunciation mm-hmm. of his last name. He, he goes by JML. He runs a podcast called Welcome to the Midside. And he has long prided himself on predicting who the winner is going to be just on the, the edit. And he has not always had a successful track record. People like to make fun of him because he's had some really big flaming misses over the years. But I do remember in Nicaragua, he was telling me, he's like around episode four, five, six. He's like, I think Fabio is going to win. And I'm like, why? He's like, because nobody else has a winner's edit. If you pay attention, everybody else, they're making look cocky, condescending, like overthinking things. He's like, it's weird, but Fabio's the only one they're showing who's like not going out of his comfort zone. He's like, I'm cool. I, I'm playing up this thing because they want me to play it up. He's like, I think this doofus is going to win the season. And I was like, there's no way. He's like, there's no one else that could. No one else has a good edit. And as you watch the season, you'll notice that they sabotage everyone else's edit where you can see it coming more and more and more that Fabio never has a winner edit, but they tank everybody else's edit. You'll kind of notice it. But that's one thing I always remember. Justin kind of pointed that out to me really early in this season. How dare he count out Benry? <laughs> well, apparently Benry wasn't here yet. Benry arrives in the, this last episode. Oh, right. He does have a deep throat, the king of a spot at <laughs> yes. first. But there, yeah, there's one confessional in episode nine or 10 where Fabio says, you know, it's like being cool. That's the secret of this game. Don't ruffle feathers. Just don't make anybody angry at you. He's like playing dumb is the smartest thing you can do. And I remember Justin was all over that quote. He's like, that's it. That's the winner quote. No one else can win the season. So there is a little bit of Fabio winner edit in there, but it's, it's very subtle. Well, to your point, I feel like as we get into tribal council here, I actually feel like this is not a good look for Brenda. And it mm-hmm. seems like, again, this baffling Kelly B decision does seem to at least be narrated by Brenda. So I assume that she has at least some part of it. But on top of that, and also between, like, her oddly, like, I don't know why she she's, like, trying to stymie this idea of the three older people joining together. Because Jane has affirmed to her there's no way they're working together. But she decides to, like, fortify the cracks by lying that she told, like, they told her to vote for Jane. And she's like, oh, Marty, why did you do that? And Marty says, no, you were the one that told me to do that, which will obviously lead to Marty and Jill changing their votes from Jane to Brenda. But I just remember this episode in particular was like, yeah, for some reason, Brenda, who at the, at this time I think had been pretty regarded as like at least doing well of not getting a winner's edit, for some reason they just like completely blame her for not only the Kelly B boot here and not getting rid of Marty with an idol for whatever reason, but also then for like an unsuccessful attempt to try to diminish Marty's credulity even further, which to your point, he didn't really have much credit to begin with, but it just seemed like a botched attempt at that. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about Brenda down the road. She is, you could argue she's the biggest character this season, maybe, but she has a really negative edit at times. She has a really positive one, but a really negative one. And that, that would probably surprise people if they haven't watched Nicaragua in a while. You remember they kind of sabotage her at the end of Caramoan because they don't want her to be a fan favorite, so they give her a nasty edit. But she And then she get, then she almost becomes fan yeah, favorite. Yeah, that's the thing. But she has a nasty edit at times in Nicaragua, too. She She's full-on John Carroll at times. Like, 
you know, I'm the greatest. Everything goes through me. I, I can't possibly be beaten. She, she's practically saying that stuff in confessionals. So if you pay attention, you can see Brenda's come downfall coming a mile away. All right. Ready to go to tribal council here? Yeah, because I'm still confused as to why this <laughs> happens still, you know, 10 years after the fact. Okay, I you think like, I can you... sum this up. You guys can jump in if you want to correct me. But I think the only person they can vote for on LaFleur is Marty. But he's got the idol, so they got to split it with somebody. And if you split it, you're going to pick the person who was on the outs before. And, uh, and, and Kelly B was the one on the outs. If you remember from the first four episodes, she votes the wrong way, I think, at the Shannon vote. And she's forever shunned from the rest of the group after that. So... She's just the only one left. It's going to be Fabio or her. Those are the two that aren't in the alliance. Well, Fabio seems no, no, like, no. What? But the thing is, is that the vote is tied between Marty and Kelly B. Oh yeah, the second. Like Marty has Marty. Yeah, yeah. Marty hasn't played the idol. I think throwing in three votes on Kelly B is fine. What I don't understand still is why on the revote does everyone say, "All right, Marty didn't play his idol." I think we're okay to get rid of Kelly B here. That makes no sense to me, unless in the moment, unless this plan that gets formulated in the very next episode is already in play of like, oh, I can weasel the the, the idol away from Marty. And then from that extent, they'd be like, okay, let's vote him, you know, let's keep him in so we can try yeah. this plan of getting the idol from yeah, him. Yeah, I always forget there's a revote on this one. You're right. Yeah, for people who haven't seen it in a while, three votes for Marty, three votes for Kelly B, two votes for Brenda. And the Brenda ones are just personal because Brenda's been going after Marty, calling him a, you know, a, a cancer and a problem. And so Jill and Marty just vote for Brenda out of spite. And Marty even says, I'm going to take you down. The lines have been drawn, you queen or whatever. And so, yeah, then we get to the revote and they never explain the logic why it goes from three Kelly B, three Marty to five to one in favor of Kelly B. And all of a sudden she's gone. Hard to even understand. One thing that's never explained in this season is the dislike and the distrust for Alina and Kelly B. Like, we're just supposed to accept it, but I don't know if anyone else fully grasps why those two are, are constantly the targets so much that we'd rather get out Kelly B than Marty. Well, I mean, they do. Brenda does bring up, you don't want Kelly B at the end. Again, the thing we've seen before, she's got the artificial leg. She's got the sympathy story. We can't let her get to the end because she'll win. So it's... Uh, I think it's it. A lot of it comes with that. It's not so much a hate of Kelly B. It's they worry about her at the end. And again, it's not just Nayanka. They're all saying that. Brenda's saying that. Yeah, but it's just so weird in comparison to again Marty, who Brenda just tried to like slander publicly has an idol. Like it just it just feels like there are so many more reasons to get rid of him than to get rid of Kelly B. When you have so many opportunities to do it down the line, though I think you have a good point here, Paul, in that we're really gonna get this in the next two episodes. We are going to get so much told to us rather than shown to us as to, like, why everybody hates Alina and why the merge vote is such a slam dunk that I guess we're supposed to, like, appropriate those comments and attribute them to Kelly B as well. And maybe that's why they decided to pull the trigger here. I think there's two things that go on with this season. Number one, as we've said in this podcast, this very podcast, that the narrative for the season is very easy to follow, right? Like, you can see the split and you can see that Holly and Jane latch and you can see you know, all of this sort of stuff. But at the same time, there's a lot about this season that we just, that they just don't tell us that, that we can understand necessarily why people go in general, but in the order that they go in is a little confusing because some of the stuff, they just don't tell us what's going on. 
I'm guessing from an editing point of view, what the producers are thinking here is that we put that Guillermo Villas chess scene in here. We see that Marty is swaying Fabio into thinking inside. So they're like, we'll just yada yada over the second vote, and you'll be meant to think that Fabio kind of screwed it up, or because Fabio's close to Marty and they want to protect him, and they don't want to piss off Fabio. I mean, that doesn't make sense in the narrative, mm-hmm. but I think that's the way it's told you're supposed to think that, that somehow Marty saved himself by confusing Fabio. Just my guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if anyone, because I'm sure there have been plenty of AMAs after the fact, if anyone has any information as to what exactly happened, but I still think to this day, it remains the one of the biggest mysteries in Survivor history. Like, even votes like the Kelly vote in Survivor Samoa were, like, explained away with a sentence. I still do not know, especially, again, to Jay's point, like, given the edit of how screwed Marty is, why in the Revo, and it's not even explained in the next episode, why they said, like, okay, despite the fact that we have a knife to Marty's throat, let's surprisingly gut Kelly B while she's just standing there, you know, helplessly on the side. Yeah, it's a weird, and I wrote this in my notes here, it's weird that for a season with somebody actually named Purple Kelly, the other Kelly in the season, her boot is even murkier. You have no idea what happened to the other Kelly and why she got voted out. It's it's just a weird thing. And again, people, I always try to put these in context for people. At the time, people were asking this too, like, why the hell did they vote Kelly B out? And, you know, most people on the Internet are usually very reactionary. They get very emotional. They're like, oh, it was their bullying. They all bullied Kelly B. It was the leg, blah, blah, blah. But, like, it's way deeper than that. I don't know. I mean – it's not they're not just going to vote her out for that reason. There had to be other stuff too, but we just don't see it. You never see anything. And that's it. And then Kelly leaves and her leg flies off one last time. Yeah, and, and kicks Nayanka <laughs> while the rest of them are eating beef kebabs. <laughs> but yeah, Luckily, that's it we Kelly have a beef. much more exciting boot to follow this. <laughs> yes. It does it get better than this? <laughs> Do you have anything to eulogize Kelly B? Do you know anything about her other than on paper? She's like an amazing person. She was like a medical student. She's a doctor. But like there's nothing you know about her from this season. Right. The only thing I will say, I know we don't often like to bring in like, you know, things from outside of uh, the show that may have been discussed other places. But Nyanka did recently do an interview with RHAP and I found it extremely fascinating and the thing that I thought most things she was able to have a pretty rational like explanation for and you kind of like empathized with her and you got her side of the story until they brought up the question about <laughs> Kelly B and her leg. And the whole thing started over again. She goes, oh, that started before the game even started. She was walking around with that leg and blah, blah. I mean, and she just went <laughs> off again. And it was like, okay, we're not going to explore that because it was like there was no rational explanation for it again about why she hated her and that leg. I was like, okay, well, I understand everything. I, I understand Nyanka way more, except for I still don't get it with Kelly Bruno and the leg. The audacity to have one leg. <laughs> well, then ten years later, Nyanka is now tripling down on the story, still going with it. <laughs> Yeah, and Kelly B seems like she's a great person. I could not tell you. I don't know anything about her from this season. I know more about Eve than I do about Kelly B. And I believe, is she the last amputee to be on the show? I believe so. We're going to date ourselves when at the time of this taping, yeah. Was it like two strikes and you're out like, okay, we struck out with Chad. We struck out with Kelly Bruno. <laughs> Clearly, people are too irate by these people with one leg on the show. I guess we can't do that anymore. Dan Foley had an artificial head, if I recall. <laughs> <laughs> Just walking around with that head. Nyanka hated him. 
All right. So we lost Kelly B. See you later. Sorry you couldn't be participate more in this season. Let's go over to Espada. We're going to lose Eve. Now, this seems fun because they have to do their tribal council while LaFleur is munching away with their beef and chicken kebabs over to the left. And all they can do is listen to them eating and look, and, and look over there, and they hate it. And Probes just keeps needling them. Like, hey, Nayanka, doesn't it look delicious what Fabio's eating right now? And Fabio's like, it's so good, man. And Nayanka's like, you had to ask him, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I talked about this last episode, but it really, like, you see it so profoundly over the course of this season, how much, like, Jeff Probst, modern-day Jeff Probst at Tribal Council really starts coming out here, between, like, his own reactions and the way he really starts probing for questions. Like, I think Jeff Probst becoming, what, like, the 10th castaway or whatever in the Tribal Council or the 21st castaway on the season becomes much more profound in Nicaragua in particular, where, like, he is really starting to, and maybe it's because he also sees someone like Nayanka, and he's like, okay, I actually can sort of, like, bat back and forth with someone. We can have a, vo- a volley a la Guillermo Diaz, but, or Guillermo Diaz, but he, he does really seem to, like, dig in a lot to these people this season, particularly, as you said here, with Nayanka just really lathering up the, oh, isn't this fun to watch them dig in while you're starving and cold and wanting to quit sitting here on these stumps? I could not get enough of Nayanka and Fabio fighting. I just love every single time they bicker over something. This is one we'll get like five more throughout the season. But yeah, this is probes inserting himself, trying to get drama. And just this is a fun scene. Despite this being an Eve tribal council, it's a fun scene. All right, so there's not much here to talk about strategically other than it's going to be Eve or Dan, and Eve says Dan's a quitter, he's weak, he wants to go home. If you keep him, you'll suffer, it'll be a huge mistake. And they're like, uh, nah, no thanks, we'll vote you out instead. Although this does have the great, I know Paul, you must love this one. This seems like something you'd love, where Dan calls Eve arrogant, and she says, <laughs> I'm not arrogant, I don't talk about my six Ferraris and my three homes. And Dan just says, I do. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we yeah, I don't know what I don't know why he needed that clarifier. Um, we we didn't get to talk about uh, one of my favorite Eve's Eve lines going into the tribal council when she taught when she she puts things very eloquently that up until now, um, Dan has had a little man sitting on his shoulder looking out for him, and maybe that little man will jump over to her shoulder. So the whole tribal council, I was waiting for that to happen, but I, I never saw the little man jump from his shoulder to hers. Maybe that's the reason why she gets under-edited, because she's, like, tripping balls the entire time. <laughs> Maybe she had, like, a big addiction that she was kicking, a la Shane Powers, and as a result, she was starting to hallucinate and just, like, completely lose touch with reality over the course of Nicaragua. I'm just picturing Leaf from One World sitting on Dan's shoulder, jumping onto Eve's. Been a good good moment. But yeah, this is uh, this is Dan. Dan is sort of like Carl Blancione on steroids, and that now he is not only talking about you know his magnified wealth, but also openly flaunting it and not giving a shit. I don't talk about this. Well, I do. Yeah, I know. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Eve is voted out. Rest in peace, Eve. I'm sure she was a very nice person. And again, on paper, she should have been a really strong player. She was just on a shitty tribe and got terrible luck with this twist. So sorry, that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, winners don't wear gold, evidently. That's a good point. That's right. She had the winner quote. All right. So we lost Kelly B and Eve again. <laughs> Two of the biggest purples in Survivor history all in one episode. So that was a wonderful job of the producers cleaning out the cast. Here we go to episode seven. We're going to lose Dr. Jill. And we start here with 
Dan being like, oh, you know, uh, John Gotti, they called him Teflon Don. I'm the Teflon Dan. And then Kasuma Confessionals being like, they don't even know that John Gotti was a famous lacrosse player <laughs> from the 60s. I totally got him. <laughs> yeah, you idiots. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so the big storyline in the season, again, this whole five-episode stretch is really just Marty. It's Marty's story, lesser extent Holly's story, lesser extent Jill's, but it's mostly Marty's. But there is a subplot here where everyone's like, should we really be keeping Dan around? This might not be the best long-term solution to have, have him clogging up our immunity challenges. So they're a little worried about Dan. And uh, that's a spot. I go to LaFleur. This is where Marty is just enraged that they tried to vote him out. They tried to flush his idol. But he didn't play his idol last night. So he tells us what amazingly huge cojones he has. (laughs) God. Marty, we don't want to know this about you, okay? Uh, And this is also, I think, really the beginning of, like, the Jane-Marty rivalry, right? Because up to this point, like, Marty really hasn't had a problem with Jane, but now he figures that Jane has directly voted against him. And so he is going to outright approach Jane the next day, essentially saying, like, why did you vote for me? Uh, You know, I haven't done anything to you. And then Jane just really plays it off super cool by just patting him on the shoulder, (laughs) chuckling, and walking off without providing an answer. Yeah, this is a great little minor feud. I kind of forget that this feud is in here. Like, this is a blood feud. This is one of the harshest feuds you're going to see in this era of Survivor. Jane and Marty hate each other's guts, and it will lead to, like, every single tribal council that's going to pop up again. Although there's a funny scene here, I forget about this, where where Marty goes to talk to Jane. He's like, I don't know why you'd vote for me last night. He's like, I've never lied to you. I've never misrepresented myself. I've never written your name down. We're friends. We're on the same tribe. And then immediately we see a a shot of him talking to Jill saying, you know, Jane sucks. Jane's backstabbed us. And Jane's literally right on the other side of the wall listening. So (laughs) Marty has sabotaged any goodwill he might have had with Jane. I also, that when I watch that scene, I just, like, Marty is this really good character because he has all these flaws, and just, like, how abrasive he is with Jane, like, if he was, like, presenting that conversation, like, if, if I lie about anything, I'll clear it up now, but he did not enter the conversation saying, like, do you, do you think I lied to you about something? Because I'd be happy to clear it up with now. He was, like, telling her, like, I've not lied about anything, nothing at all, right? I didn't write, because if I did, I'd clear it up right now because I didn't lie about anything, right? Like, what do you say to that? Like, you're like, mm-hmm, Done. Mm-hmm. Conversation done. Well, that's what she did, and that's all she gives you. Because like, <laughs> and just pats him on the shoulder and walks away. That's the only awkward way she can leave that conversation. <laughs> yeah, Marty. Okay, you can make the argument again. This was the Marty season, and would you agree with me? That's what people would have said as the season was airing that this was the Marty show. Yeah, yes. I mean, listen, in the next episode, Probst is going to say in the previously on, essentially, like, three people to watch are Nayanka, Marty, and Sash. So I think it's definitive that Marty is maybe not, like, I wouldn't say the figurehead of the show up to this point, but I think he is absolutely, if not number one, the number two character at the moment. Yeah. And this, he comes up all the time. I always see this on Reddit and stuff. People are saying, which castaways are you surprised never came back to play Survivor again? And Marty is always at the top of that list, and he always should be, because... I am shocked that they never brought him back. He was such a big character this season. Yeah, I wonder, I think maybe the only real opportunity to do so 
was was probably Caramoan, mm-hmm. where they brought back Brenda. And for some reason, they had to be like, no, let's go with South Pacific. I think there's much more gr- fertile ground there. Because I think otherwise, like, I I don't think he had a family member for Blood versus Water. And then I think by the time you get around to, like, Second Chances, I think Nicaragua sort of becomes more of an ignored season mm-hmm. then. So it, it's not, you know, I think he unfortunately sort of came by in an era where there were a lot of returning player seasons, but, like, he, for some reason, was not very appealing because I agree. When you watch this season, you absolutely look at Marty. You're like, this guy is the brunt of so much focus in the middle of the season. How the hell has he not come back? Yeah. And that's, again, something we try to put in the historical context for people listening. What were people thinking at the time? At the time, that would have been, wow, Marty's the only one playing and everyone else sucks. That really was what people would have been thinking at the time. Because that's the thing that Marty's outright yeah, saying. Yeah, he's telling right? us He's that. like, I can't... Which is very funny, because as Paul said, like, he's an incredibly flawed character. To the point where he even tells Jill after the fact, he's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I should have approached Jane. <laughs> you know, I think even he realizes, like, damn it, Marty, why'd you have to do that? <laughs> All right, so let's go into one of the most famous challenges of the season, the peeing in the water challenge, the Kathy Vavrick O'Brien Memorial Pissing Challenge, where, uh, <laughs> where you have Fabio and chase our goalies in this pool. Oh, oh, let's point this out before we get there. They were not allowed to film in the water in Nicaragua. No challenges. So they had to construct their own little pool, right? Yeah, so it was too choppy. And I think we're only going to use the pool a couple of times. Like, we had the dunk tank. But I think, I can't remember other times where we used the pool for this season. I believe we're going to use it next season. Okay. And that is specific to Nicaragua for people who don't know this. Yeah, this this season, the conditions of the water were too harsh. They had to construct this special pool just so they could have water challenges. And then Fabio pees in it and sullies it. And I don't know if they use a pool later. Is it still the is Fabio's pee still in it? That's how pee works. I mean, did they clean it out? Do they have chlorine? I don't know. In between challenges. Well, the, Fabio said the mar- the water looks super murky, so I don't think they're necessarily needing to, like, filter the water to make sure it's <laughs> swimmable, you know? As long as there aren't leeches in it, I think they they give the thumbs up. But yeah, this is maybe the signature challenge scene in Nicaragua. Everybody remembers this scene where Fabio and Chase are defending the goal. At one point, Fabio pees in the water. And this is the famous challenge where the winners get to go to a farm and have a farm fresh breakfast, and they get to milk their own milk, which will be a quote that will be forever identified with Purple Kelly later on. Wait, 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 wait. hold on, Mario. You're still on this this pool thing. Like, do you look at the ocean and go, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not touching that? Wait, I agree with Fabio. Everyone pees in the pool. I see no problem with it. My cure, my question was, do they still use this water later? Do they somehow clean it in between challenges? Yeah, that's what they did. They cleaned the water in the pool <laughs> in between challenges. Yeah, imagine like the poor Dream Teamer pool boys coming out having to skim the water for, <laughs> I don't know, pee and other detritus. I don't know. I just, I ask the questions the listeners want to hear, Jay. That's what I do. The the listeners on the They're, street? Yes, the listeners on the street. Okay. There, There is actually some very fun, like, character microcosm moments in this, though, because even outside of Fabio being Fabio and peeing in the pool, there is Marty being super aggro Marty and nailing Chase in the nuts with just throwing the ball at, like, 90 miles an hour. And then there is Dan giving Chet a run for his money and, like, worst challenge performance ever, where he, like, 
throws the ball almost to Fabio to catch, and then, like, feebly jumps into the water, and then everyone sort of, like, laughs at him, and Jeff, like, half-heartedly yells at him, knowing there's no way that Dan's gonna ever be able to successfully do this. Yeah, that was one of the most popular GIF files on Survivor Sucks back in the day. Everyone loved that that animated GIF of uh, Dan jump, throwing and then jumping. I have it on the Funny 115. I don't actually have it as its own entry. It's in another entry. But yeah, that is a legendary Dan moment. Dan... Dan was kind of a low-key fan favorite on Survivor Sucks back in the day because he was so worthless. And people love flocking to the players that are completely worthless. So Dan became like a huge fan favorite for that reason. Yeah, he, he was sort of, he was the UTR goddess, essentially, of of Survivor Nicaragua. It's why yeah. people kind of, you know, fanboy over me, the worthless one on the team. I get it. I get it. Paul, you are the geologist among us. You are far from worthless. Oh, you act like that's a compliment, but you know what stings. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> you fool to... he doesn't actually know what stings you idiot <laughs> sorry he doesn't he doesn't know that he's talking about sting the singer and not sting the wrestler mm. oh my god <laughs> you ignoramus <laughs> um it makes sense man i do i do have to say like as someone who played just in uh, a lot of soccer in my lifetime you know, this challenge appeals to me for so many reasons, like this weird throw penalty kick kind of water polo lacrosse soccer thing. I just love it. I think it's fantastic. And and I, I make fun of the challenges in Nicaragua a lot. And this one you can make fun of, and I still wouldn't really, like, defend it or anything like that. I don't think that they need to bring it back. But I was just kind of like, ooh, I would like this one. This is what I would actually want to do. Well, it fits this season. This challenge is goofy and it may, it's like silly, but the season is goofy and silly. So I like when the mm-hmm. challenge fits the season. You always think of Nicaragua, you think of this challenge. There's a Mandela effect going on with this reward because everyone always remembers. We referenced it in the very beginning of this podcast. I think maybe Purple Kelly's one of only like her five confessionals or something. This is her, and first. It's her first confessional. Her first. Yeah, the whole milk your own milk thing. I had always thought that that's because LaFleur wins this challenge. No, it's the rare confessional after a challenge from someone who lost the challenge, but they felt this was such, like, good material that they literally milked it from someone who was on the losing tribe and did not go on the reward about how much they wanted to go on the reward. I'm glad you pointed that out, because I have that in my notes circled about a hundred times. Just circled, 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 that everyone thinks Purple Kelly wins this reward. She does not. I'm glad you said that, yeah. Espada, again, the team with all the challenge beasts win the challenge like they usually do. Although, if you pay attention, it's really two people, the same two people who have been dominating a lot of challenges. Espada wins because Nayanka and Benry repeatedly own Fabio. They just outwit him every single time. They're they're too good. And so Espada wins, and then we get the confessional at the end where Kelly says, yeah, we should have won because you get to milk your own milk. And she doesn't win, but it's the other tribe that wins. So I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah, it's a weird confessional, too, because obviously the whole milk your own milk is, like, lol-worthy, but it also ends with her being like, yeah, that would have been fun. So it's such a nothing-burger confessional on paper. It's one of those things that would make the secret scenes back in the day, right, or, like, the unaired confessionals of, like, yeah, it really sucked to lose, and the fact that they actually had to repurpose one of these and put them on air as a contestant's first confessional just speaks volumes about the way they're going to edit Purple Kelly or, you know, not really edit her. Now, this was her first confessional, correct? Yeah, I would imagine so. Seven episodes into the season. Paul, trivia time. Stump the Paul here. Is she Who the first t-shirt? Person? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yes. Paul, he'll give you a t-shirt from Montana, a nighttime geology t-shirt. But uh, 
What is is she the first person who does not get a confessional until the seventh episode? I think she broke that record, right? I I mean, I think so. Yeah, that's a good trivia question. I feel like that was a record that was broken. I, who knows what it is like now? But that that is pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah, and we're 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 talking about this as if you know. Again, so many new listeners to the show, new viewers of Survivor. The term purple. It started with Purple Kelly because up mm-hmm. to this point in history, no player had ever been erased or negated out of a season as badly as she has been. Again, she has not said a word in six episodes. She says one confessional in this one, her seventh goddamn episode, and it's this halfway halfway through the season yeah. by episode count, and her first confessional is saying, "You get to milk your own milk." Yeah, and I'm gonna get this a little dark here. I hate to do this, but like people laughed at that. They've always laughed at Purple Kelly. They make fun of her. They're like, "What an idiot!" I can't believe that's her one comment that we see. But I know people who are reality tv editors i've talked to them through the funny 115 and stuff and i know people who were in the editing bay and were around editors during nicaragua and they have flat out told me it was a deliberate effort the producers did not like purple kelly they thought she was a moron they don't like her storyline later in the season they would go out of her way their way to laugh at how stupid they can make her look in the episodes it was a very deliberate thing just because they were editors and they can do that stuff or the producers were really calling the shots so this is not accidental. This is them trying to make her come off the biggest ignoramus ever so the fans would laugh at her. It's very – it's evil, to be honest. I mean, if they did that, they should have had her be the one that Marty tells the story to about Guillermo Villas. Yeah, that's the thing. They were probably kicking themselves that he never had a chess discussion with Purple Kelly. Unless they should have just, like, photoshopped her head on or something <laughs> after the fact. Yeah. But, yeah, this milk your own milk is something people have made fun of for years, but it was a very specific sabotage of a character just because they were trying to make an example out of her. That is not an exaggeration. That was very deliberate, and I have people that have told me that that were there. So just keep that in mind with this Purple Kelly stuff. All right, so LaFleur has lost the challenge. They go back to camp, and this is where Jane is just doing all the chores around camp, and Sash. Yeah. We're already sabotaging Sash here. I mean, just giving him a horrible edit. So let's talk about Jane for a second, because I think Jane is probably one of the most misrepresented fan favorite characters since Rupert. Right, like, isn't the the common uh, the common you know consensus is especially among the Nicaragua cast that like Jane was actually pretty tough to be around, mm-hmm. and that the edit just turned into a, like this complete sweetheart. And so viewing these episodes through this lens, especially the whole like her catching a catfish and deciding to eat it by herself, Gollum style, like that actually is something that could be taken completely differently to your point about editing Mario. Like there, you could absolutely tone this in a different way where it's like, Oh, Jane's being selfish. You know, everyone else is working fine. And she goes off and decides to like, you know, essentially deprive the tribe of a little bit of food that she caught, but pair this with the confessional. You mentioned Mario about Sash being like, Oh, it's great. I get to, you know, the, uh, the, we get to eat the, basically the fruits of the old people's labor. Now it comes off like Jane is the big hero, you know, the, the super tough Southern farm girl who now provides for the tribe, but also is so like silly and, you know, squirrely that she's able to eat a little bit of, scrape a little bit off the top as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, I, I have a, a Jane story in okay. that we have. Uh, oh, good. A- Oh, good. You're excited, Jay. Um, we uh, we bought our house, moved into our house um, about a year and a half ago. And there's a woman who lives across the street who 
kind of looks like Jane, like not really, but we can never remember her name. So we just call her Jane all the time, even though it's not her name, because we say she looks like Jane from Nicaragua. And uh, there's a lot of similarities they have. Like she's like kind of a uh, a loner and <laughs> is always doing yard work and walking around and just kind of a hard worker and probably cooks fish in her backyard and, and doesn't share with anyone else like that. So um, the, <laughs> now that we talk about Jane so much, I really think about our hardworking uh, neighbor across the street who uh, is also um very misrepresented does she do the fish dance <laughs> um i i watch her very carefully because i i want to catch that one in action but so far not yet not yet <laughs> well okay I, I gotta talk about, about the jane thing go ahead when go i ahead, think jane. about jane from nicaragua i also think about yard work <laughs> good <laughs> love, love jay's dry sense of humor that was great <laughs> All right. But I, I got to talk about this because Jane does win fan favorite at the end of the season, right? If I recall. Mm-hmm. She does. It's very weird because if you uh, pay attention to the season and you put it in context of as it was airing, how the fans reacted to it, the big fan favorite of the season probably midway through would have been Marty. So it's really odd that Marty has a blood crusade against Jane. She has a blood crusade against him. She wins fan favorite, although at the time he would have been seen as probably the big hero of this cast among the fan base. So it's it's really, again, like Mike said, a weird edit with Jane. Yeah, and especially, you know, it's – and you guys sort of talked about this with Christy and, again, especially with Rupert of this idea of, like, if you do – view the narrative this wonky narrative from the angle of like jane is actually kind of the grumpest to be around more so than marty it does really color the season completely differently where i mean it doesn't also doesn't help that i think you know marty is essentially going to underline to everyone next round why you shouldn't vote for jane to win the game or how jane will win the game automatically which may have actually put the idea in other people's heads at home of like, oh yeah, that's why we should vote her fan favorite, essentially. Like, Marty won the battle, but he kind of loses the war in that regard. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And one of the points I used to make on the message boards, I don't know if this is still applicable today, but back in the day, for people who don't know, they used to have the Sprint Fan Favorite Award where the fans could vote for their favorite player. People used to call it the Rupert Award. Rupert can't win Survivor, but the fans can still vote for him to win at the end. And so it's very, very cynical if you look at it that way. And I used to make a point on the message boards around this time that all you had to do to win fan favorite was go out there and say, the other people won't give me a chance. I just want to fit in. They don't let me fit in. And you win every single goddamn time. And that's Jane's storyline in a nutshell. It's Rupert's storyline. Like, I was like, is it really that easy? Just go on TV and say that and you're going to win every time. And obviously that changes the next season or cheated with Russell and the whole, you know, the dynamic of who the fans vote for is their favorite changes. But it was really cynical to me that that you could win that every time just by saying that sentence nobody lets me play i want to play they won't let me yeah that's the thing is that again we're gonna get this in this episode and next episode that we are getting so much tell instead of show and i mean another drinking game you could play when watching survivor nicaragua drink it how many times jane claimed she was the ugly duckling back on espada <laughs> Now, granted, guys, it's been a few months since I watched those first few episodes, but I do not remember a iota, as Jane would put it, of this big thing where it's like, oh, yeah, Jane is really like the pariah of camp. Nobody gets along with her. She doesn't fit in. Really, we were dealing with the shenanigans of Jimmy Johnson and Jimmy Tarantino to really hear that much about Jane. So it just it really comes out of nowhere. And because 
you know, the only person we really hear say that is Jane herself. I guess we're conditioned to believe her. Mm -hmm. But again, if you look at it from the angle of like, she puts herself in this position and almost like martyrs herself, then it really does give you a whole different view on her role in the season. Yeah. And, and I, to clarify, Marty talks about that, I think in two episodes of tribal council, he says, we got there the first day of the beach of Espada. Jane was asking everyone, let's make an alliance. He's like, I don't know you. Why should I make an alliance with someone? I don't know. Jane interprets that as you don't want to make me an alliance with me. You want to shun me. And she's hated Marty ever since. And his argument was no, it's because you're talking to people way too early and nobody even knows who you are yet. So you can look at it both too. And I don't know who's right, but you can see why both people would view that differently. Yeah, I mean, she saw that firsthand with Wendy, Joe, and Holly in the very first episode. <laughs> That's a solid threesome right there. All right, let's go to the Espada reward here, where they actually do milk their own milk. Now, the takeaway from this, everyone remembers Nayanka milking a cow for the first time, talking about how she touched a cow's nipple which she doesn't normally do. Again, I, I think Nayanka's hilarious. I love her little confessionals. We see Dan doing his little dad joke. I think I dated that girl once with her nipple. But the thing that jumps out to me is Chase getting this unbelievable winter edit in this scene mm-hmm. about, oh, riding horses is like my deceased father. It reminds me of our farm as kids. And, oh, I just am so touched to be a part of this. Like Chase is getting this amazing edit here, and they're going to completely sabotage it next episode. Well, it doesn't help that the, the, like, as beautiful as that is, the scene ends with everyone sitting around the picnic table and, like, Alina and Holly are, you know, crying at the food. And then it cuts to Nay being like, yeah, Alina's grimy and sneaky. <laughs> now, Paul, are you on a farm? No, he lives across the street from Jane. That's right. Okay. I, so our, I was seeing our, our farms this, are, it, are across from each other, right? Yeah. I was seeing if this, 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 this accuracy in this farm with the fresh cheese and everything. It's one of those things with, like, you, when you grow up in Montana, like, if you're not actually, like, grow up like like in a really rural area i mean because i grew up in the city like the big city a hundred thousand people but like you do these kind of excursions as a kid like because everything's around like in elementary school you go to like all these like farm type things and go to farms and rodeos and all these things like that and then like like once you get to be like older you don't do those things anymore because it was just part of your educational upbringing but it's like weird because you're from Montana, so you feel like I should be able to speak more eloquently about these types of experiences that I definitely did a lot as a kid, but no longer choose to do. Well, I will, I will fess up. Say I didn't specifically grow up on a farm, but my mom did. My mom is very rural, very hardworking farm family. So I've been to my grandfather's farm many times. We used to help him put together crops for the, the Clallam County Fair. You used to have these crop judging competitions and stuff, and we'd we'd have fresh cheese and fresh other stuff. So I actually get this mentality quite a bit. That This is a nice scene. I like – this is a whole nice little moment for all these players on this farm. Yeah, and that's why these, these cultural visits can be very fun, even though, again – it's a bit soured at the end here, but it again like ends on this note of like, yeah, like this is a great moment to step away. But by the way, isn't Alina the worst person on earth? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why do they hate Alina so much? Everybody cannot stand Alina. She gets buried by everybody at all times. As she's crying, getting a hug from Holly, Nayaka just tears into her. Yeah, being like, oh, the the manipulative emotional. My God, Alina is worse than Lee Harvey Oswald, the biggest sociopath <laughs> we've ever seen. Yeah, that. That, that the, the transition between those two moments made me laugh. I, I have it in my notes as well. <laughs> this is such a nice emotional scene. It ends with Nay tearing into Alina. <laughs> All right. Alina will not be longing for this game. She, but she's a, you know, I got to say this about Alina. 
she is a very strong player. There's she's there's she's kind of like probably Eliza in a way. There's something mm. about her personality people don't like. Everyone just hates Alina, but she's very strong in every strategic discussion. She's very strong in the challenges. She seems like she was a major player in the season, but people just don't like her. Yeah, and I, I really would like to know what it was. Like, is it an attitude thing? I mean, next episode, it's going to more so be like, hey, you're too threatening. Uh, like you actually said, Mario, actually, next episode is very comparable to the Micronesia merge episode, just mm-hmm. without the effing stick. Instead, it's the effing feast. But, you know, it, it is very much like a pile on. Like, she really is just undesirable by each and every person for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just love this. Yeah, okay, we'll skip ahead a second, but we'll get to this with the, the food scene. Nayanka steals food from the tribe at the merge, and then she says, by the way, Alina had some too, and the rest of the tribe is like, how dare you, Alina? <laughs> yeah, Alina, we thought better of you. <laughs> Nayanka's like, I took the food, and they're like, fuck you, Alina. <laughs> All right, let's go through this chat, this episode here. Uh, these, the immunity challenge that you won, you mentioned earlier, where they roll balls down a little tube and smash surfboards. It's it's so weird because, like, I really like the challenge, but I really like it as, like, a day in physics class, you know? It feels odd to do it as a survivor challenge, but I like all the choices you can make in terms of, like, angle and level and ball choice. And this is also, like, primo Benry content, right? Between, like, the <laughs> nay, like a toot, or him, uh, like, he's a Jack Black character right now, essentially, in this challenge. <laughs> Somehow he knew Gulliver's Travels would make an appearance later. Yeah, exactly. And he's singing like, we got little balls. And then the challenge ends. Surprise, surprise. Uh, you know, basically Purple Kelly and Brenda like bungle the challenge completely and Espada ends up winning. And Benry finishes by saying, I should be a pirate. Why? <laughs> what? what Pirates context? often rolled balls down ramps onto surfboards. Yeah, they had, they had the cannons, Benry, to do this for you. <laughs> they, don't, they didn't do it by hand. Now I'm thinking of Benry as Jack Black for some reason. He really does seem like that sort of, like, primo character. Like, he totally would be like, yes, skadoosh, as he knocks over the bell. Cage, I need you! I need to get this ball down the hill! Today we're going to learn math in a musical format, just like in School of Rock. All right, so one moment i got to point out of this challenge. It's, this baffles me. There's so many weird little moments in Nicaragua that I can't explain. This one, at the start of the challenge, they, they're competing for immunity, they're rolling balls down a ramp, and Jeff's like, Who's going to sit out this challenge? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Sash is like, I will. And, like, it's like a record scratch. Yeah, it's like, dun, like, dun, dun. It stops. And it's like a awkward pause for a good five seconds. Like, what the hell does that mean? There's no meaning to that at all. Well, like, does it imply that LaFleur is throwing this? Was Sash so much of a ringer in this challenge? <laughs> Sash is really good with balls. We need him up there. Little balls. <laughs> Is that before or after Benry called him a cock? I yes. <laughs> but did you guys, does that moment jump out to you too when Sash sits out? Yeah, it's so fucking weird. It's so odd. And again, it's like a perfect Nicaragua moment of like, we're going to focus on this thing for 30 seconds that has no repercussions, but we decide to make it into a big moment. <laughs> Random zoom cut to Sash and then probes looking all confused. What? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, Espada wins almost every challenge. That's, what they, that's, just, that's just what they do. And LaFleur, as Mike said, it's bungled by Purple Kelly and Brenda and also Fabio. We cannot leave out Fabio arguing with the girls and getting them all flustered. But yeah, LaFleur loses again to Benry and Alina dominating the challenges. So here we go. LaFleur is going right back to Tribal Council. And this time it's going to be either 
Jill or Marty, the only two that can vote out, but Marty's still got the, that immunity idol. And so here it comes. I, I do think this is one of those moves, and maybe this gets sort of obscured by the fact that we just had, like, the big stuff with JT in the previous seasons, but I feel like in the annals of Survivor history, not a lot is really talked about in retrospect about, like, the whole sort of, I don't know, acquisition of of the idol from Marty. Maybe it's because ultimately the idols become completely inconsequential in this season, right? They both get played at the final six and aren't played correctly, so they are basically useless the entire season. But I don't know. I feel like nowadays a lot of people will still remember, you know, the whole JT love letter thing, but not a lot of mentions about the fact that Sash is essentially able to, like, extort and keep Marty's idol and still keep him in the game. Yeah, let's talk about this because this is a... I believe this is probably a very significant moment in the season, and I think it goes a long way why Sash loses at the end, because it's just kind of slimy and shady and sneaky, but they don't really harp on it. Like, this is a very underhanded move, but it never comes back later to any fruition. Yeah, and I wonder if that's just because, I mean, if if Marty had lasted longer, right, because we see that Sash, of all people, is like, hey, you know, Marty's doing stuff for me. I should keep him around more. But because he only goes in a couple of votes from now, it's yet another one of these, like, narrative paths just ends up going really short because Marty only lasts a couple of rounds longer. How about Jay and Paul? What are your thoughts on this, uh, getting Marty to hand over the idol? It's one of those scenes with the idol hanging in the tree that is, like, a, a memory I think people have of uh, of Nicaragua and, and the handoff to Sash. But, like, I don't know. I, I watched it, and it... I don't know that I had much of a reaction to it anymore, knowing that, like, you know Marty goes home so shortly after that, so it's something that I think is it's hard to put a lot of analysis into what, what the move there. I don't know how Jay feels about it. I think that idol stuff, you know, I think people remember when, when, when people find idols, you know? I, I think that idol finding scenes become very important, and uh, but I think that you know, as Survivor has has aged and as as Survivor has gone on, you know, especially with the use of idols uh, and things like that, I think that, you know, more, uh, I don't want to say intelligent, but dynamic idol plays have happened, right? Where, like, someone has played an idol and it made a difference. Or, you know, someone, they, they did a thing where they flushed out an idol and, you know, they got rid of somebody's idol. And I, I think that plays like this have happened to where something like this, where Sash basically extorts the idol out from Marty, gets swept under the rug. Because nothing truly, like, even though it seems like it would be very significant and stuff like that, like, Marty was doomed either way. Like, he could hang on to the idol and play it, but he's going. He's not in a position to, like, use this idol to rock the game in his favor, right? And Sash goes with it, but, like, everyone's just kind of like, okay, fine, Sash, cool, you got an idol, great. Yeah, well, what jumps out at me is that there's never a second part to the story, right? If I recall, like, Sash says, okay, Marty, give me the idol, and trust me, I won't vote you out, and then at the next tribal council, I'll give it back to you. But we never see a scene of Marty asking for it back or Sash giving it back, so there's no payoff. So that's the thing, is that that's another reason why it's such a weird narrative, is I completely agree. Is like, we still have that moment where Sash is like, let's keep Marty around, but we never saw the follow-up to this whatsoever we just heard people comment about like oh this is a really dumb move even though marty sticks around but we never get any sort of follow-up whether it's either voting marty out and being like ha 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 you idiot i can't believe you let me give you your idol or hey here's your idol back there's just 
there's there's no epilogue to this story. It's completely open ended. Well, yeah. there 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 is an epilogue, but it's not an epilogue that we see. Right? Mm-hmm. Again, it, it's it's a show. It, it's it's a show not tell, even though they don't tell us and they also don't show us. But who does Marty vote for in the finals? That's true. Not Sash. <laughs> Doesn't vote for Sash. You know, yeah. and and I think that you know maybe you know you know maybe maybe that's something that is part of the reason why you know, but they don't. Like you said, there's no follow-up or not this because the problem is, is that you can't focus a lot on, on you know, like maybe maybe there was, you know, maybe, maybe this is whole like, oh, Sash, you know, you're gonna give me back the owl. No, I won't. I have completely fooled you. <laughs> but the thing is, is that Sash receives no votes at the final tribal council and is not the second place person. The the final tribal council is between Fabio and Chase, mm-hmm. uh, for for better or for worse. So like the whole, well, so Marty's like. Well, now that I'm a jury, I'm definitely not going to vote for Sash. It's like, cool, nobody does. Yeah, i, I got to point this out to newer viewers. It's still to this day kind of one of these unspoken mysteries why Sash gets no votes, because they never explain it in the episodes. And you know there had to be some drama with Sash and Marty. You know Marty's not stupid enough never to ask for that idol back. You know something happened, but we just don't know. It's not shown. So that's for your novice viewer, try to look through the editing and look through the episode to try to pick out the stuff that you would have missed that wasn't shown and try to pick out why wasn't it shown. It's weird. Right, so, because right. I, I'll admit, like, going into the final – going into the finale of Nicaragua, like, I sort of had the feeling that Fabio would pull it off then. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm some, you know, super genius or something like that. But I sort of had an idea that Fabio would win uh, going into the finale. But I thought that Fabio would win, and I thought that Sash would get the second most amount of votes. Yeah, hmm. he gets yeah, skunked. Well, he gets none. Well, yeah, I, well, especially I think – we'll talk about this next time. I think in the post-Brenda world, Sash sort of takes over as, like – the lone strategic mastermind. And of course, yes. there's going to be some stuff not shown that we're going to get into that is a big reason why Sash ultimately loses. Yeah. But right now, the discussion essentially becomes, okay, we have Marty's idol now. I can't believe this worked. Do we go through with our word and vote out Jill, or do we snake Marty and vote him out and keep his own idol? And that's really the big decision going into Tribal Council. Yeah. Okay, let's let's skip through here. So Sash tells Marty, basically, he strong arms him, really. It's a very, you know, subtle Sash way of doing it. Basically, give me the idol or you're going to get voted out. Marty's like, fine, take my idol. I, I guess I have no choice but to trust you. They go to tribal council. Jill gets voted out. Sash and the young people do follow through with their word. They take out Marty's number two in command instead. But now Marty's screwed. He has no idol and no power, although... In theory, he's supposed to get the idol back. We never see part two. I have no idea, but the bigger picture is we lose Jill here. So Marty's on his yeah. own. Well, actually, the bigger picture is that Fabio has a surprising level of knowledge of Freudian psychology. <laughs> <laughs> I love Fabio. Okay, we got to clear something out. Fabio is not stupid. If you're new to Survivor, Fabio was like one of these gifted kids. He was in these artistic you know, highest level educational schools ever. I remember reading stories about him. I, I was in these gifted classes too, but his was a little, little nerdier than mine. He was a super advanced, but it was like artistic. So he's a super smart kid, but he's kind of an airhead and he is scatterbrained and he thinks about the world in a different way. He's not stupid at all, but everyone thinks he is. So when Jeff here at Tribal Council, there's a quote about Freud and Jeff tries to punk Fabio, like we were trying to do with Paul earlier with my John Olerud first baseman story. And you got him so good. I know. I got you, Paul. I finally recovered from that. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> but 
Yeah, Probst is trying to punk Fabio. He's like, oh, I bet you've heard of Freud, right, Fabio? And Fabio busts out this knowledge that he's like an advanced education kid. He's like, why, yes, I do. I do have some knowledge of Freudian psychology, Jeffrey. I think what Sash was talking about was the 90% of the subconscious coming up and above and coming out, which is such a great Fabio moment where you realize he's not quite what you think he is. Yeah, it's it's a really, really fun moment. It's the equivalent of the Scarecrow putting on the glasses at the end of The Wizard of Oz, right? Of like, yeah. oh, you had this the entire time, and we just needed, like, the right pair of frames on you. What I love about that moment is Probst gets embarrassed, but they still left it in the episode. You don't see that very much on Survivor. Probst is trying to embarrass Fabio. Fabio says, no, this is what I know, haha, loser. And Probst just no-sells it, and they move on to the next question. You rarely see Probst get owned by somebody in a tribal council. That should have been a very important uh, clue that Fabio may win this season. Yeah, though I think the focus is much more on the fact that, you know, the fact comes out about the idol transfer, which surprises mm-hmm. Jane. And there's this one moment that gets blown completely, you know, out of proportion to the point that F- Fabio is, is referencing Freud, where, you know, uh, basically Jeff's like, okay, so Sash, if you have no problem with it being a group idol, like, why don't you give it to Brenda right now? And then Sash just takes an extremely pregnant pause and is like, all right, you know, I'll do that back at camp. You know, if there's a time when I lose trust in them, uh, I mean, uh, if, if they lose trust in me, then maybe I'd have to reconsider it. And Jeff just like essentially spills his game wide open after that. Yeah. <laughs> again, we're just, we're yada yachting over Jill leaving here. But again, yeah, this, if you were watching it at the, at the time, you're thinking Sash and Brenda and the idol and Marty are all these huge, important storylines to the season. None of them are going to have any importance to the end of the season at all, but that's what you would have been thinking watching this. And, uh, yeah, so that happens. None of it's going to be consequential later, but we do lose Jill here, who – Jill was an interesting character in Survivor history. you guys have anything, anything yeah. to say about her? What, what I want to say about Jill is I think she was someone that I can remember very distinctly. As the season gets started, um, people were very excited about her, and she's working with Marty, and it was kind of like these two are going to run the game and stuff, and she just really petered out at the end there. It was just kind of yeah. like nothing left there. I mean, you just see her feel like she loses all ambition to win and stuff, which was disappointing because I think there's a lot of potential there. Probably of, of the, um, you know, of the older women, um, no offense, Wendy Jo, um, I think she probably, um, from the onset had the most promise in her because she didn't have some huge flaw like all the rest of them had. Um, so kind of disappointing with her. Yeah, and and we mentioned before, Jay and I had mentioned that she was very active on the Survivor message boards back in the day. She was one of the best ambassadors of this season. She would always talk about Nicaragua behind-the-scenes stuff, how it worked, how the game really played out. So Jill was really popular on the message boards for someone who you probably don't remember from the episode. So I just want to give a shout-out to Jill. She was one of the big – we liked her on the message board. She was cool. Yeah, I think she sort of is in the Eve category of, like, really solid a player on paper, sort of got screwed by the swap, and I think just bigger characters around her, specifically, like, I don't think it was unfortunately done any favors that she was in cahoots with Marty, because if you look at the two of them and you're like, okay, are we going to do a Marty confessional or a Jill confessional? You give it to the former 98% of the time. <laughs> yeah, and I had mentioned earlier in the episodes that I, I like Jill because she's like the smartest one on Espada. She's like, hey, Marty, we should do this, and then Marty goes and does it, so he takes all the blame for it later, even though it was kind of her idea. But I had a, re- a listener point out to me, 
that's also why Jill gets voted out because she's forever letting Marty take the lead. Like, why don't she just try to sell out Marty here when they go over to LaFleur? Why, why is she still trying to hide behind him? And that's why she loses. So what makes her a strong player at the start ends up kind of being her downfall later because she just, there's no reason to keep her around. She offers nothing to anybody. Well, that's a hard move. That's a hard move to, mm-hmm. to kind of circumvent and go around, right? Because then it becomes, you know, it becomes, sort of a, a written fact that that person, you know, is untouchable just just in that moment. You know, think back to like Amy and Leanne in uh, uh, mm-hmm. Vanuatu, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't an idol at play, and obviously Marty has given his idol away at this point, but it's one of those things where, like, the target was Amy. They wanted to break Amy's power, right? And a lot of people are like, well, Leanne is pulling the strings behind the, stream, the, the scenes and all that sort of stuff, and you know, all that's probably true, but it's one of those things where, like, they didn't feel like they could get at Amy directly when they had the chance, so they went for the next one, you know? And I, I think that that, you know, as you said, Marty doesn't have any power at this point. He has none. He he didn't have any, and then he got rid of his idol, so they don't even need to flush that out anymore. But it's kind of like, you know, at that point, it's tough for Jill to, like, just step up and go, oh, by the way, I'm Marty's mastermind. I yeah. also do wonder if Marty had conferred with Jill at all before giving away the idol, right? Like, it's so interesting how we talk about the I found the idol, we, we find the idol moment, but it really does seem like propriety goes solely to Marty moving forward. Even Jill is one to be like, well, Marty has the idol. Like, I, I wonder if she had had the idol instead of him, if she would have given, done the same thing, and, you know, would she have played it instead in this round, and Marty would have still gone out, but, you know, then it would have been in a very different situation. All right. We are done with Jill. Uh, things are about to pick up into high gear now. Now it's the merge. Now we got less than an hour left in this episode. We have a hard stop. So we're going to get through two episodes, the Alina episode and the Marty episode. The Marty one to me is much more significant. So I'm going to kind of skim through this Alina one if you guys are okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I think TLDR, everyone hates Alina. And despite her <laughs> jockeying, she ends up getting voted out. Yeah, okay. We'll skim through this. So this is the merge episode where everyone just shits on Alina the entire episode. It's hilarious. She gets voted out like 10 to 1 or something at the end. It's terrible. But, yeah, so it's – they all merge. They meet up. They become Libertad. And both sides basically just talk about how Alina needs to go. (laughs) Alina doesn't seem to realize she's on the chopping block yet. But there's two – uh, relationships that pop up here in this episode that I want to highlight because I think they're very important. The first one is Jane and Chase. They meet up for the first time. They bond over being from North Carolina, having dead relatives, and it's a very nice scene. But the other one that I think is far more significant, and this is why I don't think people realize when you think back to the season why it plays out the way it does, where Brenda and Nayanka meet up again, and we mm. remember they are BFFs. These two could not be tighter. They love everything about each other. They will not screw each other. They keep it real. And this will haunt Brenda later down the road when Nayanka turns on her. Yeah, I mean, let's remember that all the way back, you know, in the first couple of episodes, it was really Nayanka and Brenda that were forming the first relationship. And then Sash sort of comes along and with his whole idea of like an all, you know, BIPOC final three. And he sort of just gets brought into their plans. But yeah, those were the two that really came together and reunited. I mean, this is a big episode for Nayanka in a number of ways. And I think that we've had some weird stuff with, like, the quitting. But you imagine with her being away from Kelly B, the majority of her villainous edit is over. Until we get here. And, man, if you did not believe at this point that the editors were throwing Nayanka under not only the bus, but the whole damn bus depot... 
Just mention the fact that she is up to this point the only survivor confessional who has a fart added in post to the confessional. Wait, that wasn't a real fart? I feel like that has to be too that like that's way too loud to have not been at least embellished in post, right? You don't think they were miking Nayanka's butt at all times? I know they mic well, the area. Maybe they just did. maybe just ended up being incidentally like on the stump where she was sitting. Yeah, Nayanka's gonna take it to a new level here. Okay, so she gets the food, she farts, we get that confessional, and now we get the stolen food scene, which again, Nayanka, you can say, and I agree with you, the editors throw Nayanka under the bus. She gives them a lot of material to do it with. <laughs> yeah. Well, so essentially, so the series of events here, because Nayanka is going to have a very different story later on as she attempts to save face here, is that basically, like, I guess it was her idea to make tortillas with this newly found flour, because we skipped over this, but essentially, uh, the merge feast is in this, like, big-ass chest, so they have to make their own merge feast. As Nayanka said, it's yummy to her tummy, and apparently to her lower intestine as well. Uh, but essentially, she's, like, she's angry that despite it being her idea to make tortillas, she is left with, like, the smallest ones. So in retribution... She takes the, it's the several stage plan, actually. She first takes the big jar of flour, buries it, then takes, like, the frying pan and a bowl and then some fruit to essentially, like, make her own hoard of food to both get back at the camp, but I guess maybe to also, like, start her own little stash of food, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll skip over most of the little details. This scene goes on forever, and it's really not that important to the rest of the story. There'll... There's one takeaway, I'll get to that at the end, What the, why this scene really exists, is that Naoka steals the food, she hides it off, and then she's like, if they're going to play dirty and, and take my, and not let me share with the food, I'm going to take it for myself. And then Naoka goes to the next level, she's like, I'm going to share this food with Alina. Yeah. She says, hey, Alina, come out, eat my food. And then <laughs> and then eventually Alina will take the hit for it. So I don't know how, how calculated this was. Well, I think in the moment, like, I don't know how much Nayanka thought that Alina was going to take the hit as much as she outright admits in confessional, right, that she's courting a jury vote. Yeah, she's like, she's I know that, yeah. Alina's guaranteed to go right now, so I might as well, like, tip her off and pretend like I'm in her corner, even though I'm not, because I called her grimy and slimy after she breaks down during a reward challenge. But then, because I don't think Nayanka had any intention of getting caught whatsoever. But Holly was the one that really spots it, right? And so essentially, like, you know, Chase and Alina end up guilting Nyonga for her to have this big open forum where she's like, all right, look, I decided to do it initially. She tries to play it off of being like, I was I was trying to portion it out. I was removing the flour from camp to measure it out. And Fabio, this is an ultimate, like, episode of incredulity for Fabio. He is just over the moon, flabbergasted at why she decides to do this. But, you know, then Alina gets dragged into this. And I think, I, th I, I think it was Brenda's confessional. She's like, I can't believe Alina would do okay. this. This is just another reason to vote her out after she did all this. Ignoring the fact that her number one ally was the one who actually perpetrated this act. Well, okay, let's ask a question to all four of us. Is Nayanka a good player? I don't think she's a bad player by any means. I mean, I think if, if anyone does the types of things that Nayanka does and other people's, like, other reactions are like, okay, like, we're, we're not going to change our strategy to get rid of her. Yes, there's the element of we want to maybe bring someone to the end because she won't win and, and stuff. But the fact that she obviously has a strong enough standing in the game where all these people want to work with her, and she never really is the target um, of things. So I I think she's a good player. Mm, I think so. I think there are two 
different types of moves in a game like Survivor. There are moves that get you further, and there are moves that help you win. I think Nayanka is very good at the former, and I think she is very bad at the latter. Because <laughs> let's not let's even ignore the idea that she's squirreling away food. She's doing things like flipping off Fabio and saying "fuck you" as she walks <laughs> off. She's like she basically flipped so many jury members like the bird or insulted them at this point that she is sullying any chance she has to win a jury vote. And so, you know, it, she is making moves in terms of staying within that majority, and she is always in a position of power during the game, which cannot be understated. So I think she has very good skills when it comes to that portion of the game. But when it comes to interpersonal things, you know, I, I she really doesn't have it there. And especially when it comes to this, this food hiding stuff, yes... You know, obviously, if she was not firmly well ensconced in an alliance, they would have gotten rid of her. But at the same time, it also depends on the people that she's playing with. And I do wonder if she had been in a different configuration of people, they could have very easily cast her out for doing this. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I agree with that in the sense of, so... Wait, come back to me. I need to, I need to think about this even more. <laughs> Pass. Better. Okay, yeah, Pass. I just, well, I, what I was going to say is what they were saying as well, that it's, it's, she's cagey. She's actually trying to win a jury vote here. And, you know, there's something to be said for someone who is authentic at all times. Like, nobody could ever say Nayanka is fake. Okay, I think if okay. she gets to the end against someone like Sash, I think she looks really good. Okay, so, so here is, Okay, so sorry, I, I was I had an example all loaded up, and then I, uh, I I couldn't really remember it. But yeah, someone wrote an essay, and I don't know who it was, and I don't know what exactly web, what exact website it was on. It was a long, long, long time ago um, on it. But the 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 premise of the article was basically talking about how the the ideal survivor player is Katie Gallagher from Palau. Mm-hmm. Hmm. With the idea being that really what you should be is, you know, a female who, you know, because, because, you know, not that men can't do this, but usually females are perceived to be as such, where Katie was okay, not the greatest in challenges, but, you know, she wasn't like the biggest albatross on planet Earth. She went with the tribe. She'd do some things, but not a lot of things. She was abrasive, but not too abrasive. And she, you know, went along with people and, you know, you know, basically talked about how this is the way to win Survivor. And to me, I, I read that article and I thought it was flawed because I was like, what this person is writing is an outline for someone who is going to get far in Survivor, but maybe not necessarily win a jury vote. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of the two things. And I think that that's a flaw that Russell Hance has, you know, in a lot of ways, in the sense that Russell plays a way and the, and the way Russell played a lot of those games, it's a way that can get you far in the game, but it is also not necessarily conducive to you winning that vote once you get there at the end. Right. And I think that Nyanka has those qualities in the sense that, um, you know, a lot of the things she was doing was, was not necessarily stuff to win a game. That being said, I think that Nyanka was, you know, was a lot better than I think people necessarily maybe think she was. She was athletic. She wasn't, you know, an albatross and challenges or anything like that, like Katie Gallagher was. And she does have that Sandra-esque quality of, you know, I think that points that Sandra has is that Sandra has that, you know, she's kind of she's kind of useless in a lot of physical challenges. So people don't really have a good reason to vote her out because she's not threatening in that way. But something that Sandra is very good at capitalizing on is she gains information She'll dole out the information to people and 
Sandra keeps it real, right? And I think that, you know, that is a, a, a quality that sometimes people like, especially at the end, if, if chips fall in certain ways. That being said, Nayaka's certainly keeping it real with a lot of people, but she's, she's being more, I think, uh, antagonistic yes. in certain situations than necessarily she needs to be. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing or some sort of fatal flaw, but it's like it, in this situation, it was probably too much. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, to your point, Mario, I think, if on paper, if she gets to the end there with Chase, there is an argument, or with Sash, it, maybe even Chase as well. There's an argument to be made of like she was straightforward, she she t- she was a WYSIWYG. She, what you see is what you get. But I do not think Nayanka whatsoever would be able to make that argument because yeah. I think Nayanka as a person would be much more like like you say. I think Sandra's a great comparison, Jay. I think Sandra certainly gets in these kerfuffles, but when push comes to shove in the final tribal council, she does a great job of really like saying, you know, really laying out her strategy well. I just don't think Nayanka can do that as a person. I think she is much more likely to get riled up. Speaking of Katie Gallagher, to essentially sort of do what she did to Janu, to a bunch of people. Like, I could see her doing that to Marty of like, fuck you, I, you're not going to vote for me anyway, so sit down. Like, I, I just can't imagine she would make the argument that would be essential for her to win in the final Tribal Council. Yeah. I agree with you. And I say it's just interesting that this conversation can even happen because to put this in context, Nyanka was and probably still is one of the most hated survivor players ever. No one in, you know, 10 years ago would have even fathomed having this discussion. Could Nyanka actually win this game? Like, was she actually a pretty good player? So I just think it's interesting we can have this now that people can step back a little and look at it from a, a bat, more of a long distance perspective. Well, I think that there's so much good about Nayanka. You know what I mean? Like, as, as, as a player and as, you know, a contestant on Survivor that, that, you know, it, it boggles me, you know, you're right that uh, people hated her so much when the season came out that they, they wouldn't want to have this conversation. But to me, it's one of those, like, it's not even like, isn't it amazing we're having this conversation? My question would be, why wouldn't we have this conversation? Yeah. I agree. It's just, she's, the way she's amazing. Been, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's so many mm-hmm. great qualities. Uh, about Nyanka, the survivor player that, that I would, you know, if I, if I were, if survivor were a D and D game, I would probably maybe want to play her as a character. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> you're a berserker. Yeah. No, I think she's a barbarian, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's got berserker rage. <laughs> No, well, okay, one thing I just want to point out that people will make the argument. Well, you know, people hated Nyanka in the game. I don't think everybody hated her in the game, and it's it's the Jenna Maraska in Amazon argument. Well, Christy didn't like Jenna. Well, guess what? Christy didn't matter because she wasn't important. Like, you only have to be popular with the players that are important, and that's a, you know, a harsh reality of Survivor a lot of fans don't like to hear. Nayanka was very popular with the people who mattered in Nicaragua, and that's, there's really, you can't argue that. That's another thing that I was going to say is I think that a lot of decisions she made or, or things she made, because because as you can see, like, Nayanka had the tendency to, to be impulsive at times, right? But she would talk about it, and every time she would sort of talk about these things with her tribe, to me, it came from a place where she felt comfortable to do so in the sense mm-hmm. that she was not fighting for her, her life in the game 24-7, right? She was comfortable. She, she, she had the right people. Like, she was playing the game and, and was in a really, really nice spot. And that's to the, the point one where, thing to the point think, where she, her and Purple Culling quitting kind of screws over her alliance for the rest yes, of the season. It exactly. does. It's, well, it's actually the episode before that when she turns on Brenda. Because Nayanka wants to quit after that because I think she feels so terrible what she just did to Brenda. That's, that's my argument, that the Nayanka and Brenda are, uh, relationship is the key to this season. 
And that's one thing I wanted to point out. Like I said, there was one takeaway from this food scene is that Nayanka does all the sabotage and she takes no political hit for it because her alliance is so strong and they trust her and like her so much. She takes no hit from this whatsoever. That's what I wanted to point out. And it also helps that those that are speaking up most harshly against it, especially in the next episode in Marty and Fabio, have no power right now. Yeah, who cares what they think? Exactly. It's like, oh, we're going to vote them out anyway. But yeah, so, I mean, outside of that, because that's the thing, is that this has no bearing on the episode whatsoever. Like, so, like it's the main attraction of the episode, but it has no consequence on the boot outside of it being yet another reason to apparently vote out Alina. The Really, the consensus is like, okay, do we vote out Alina because we're getting rid of a shady person, or do we get rid of Marty, who Jane is really beating the Marty drum, but really the rest of her alliance kind of overrules her here, and they decide to very, you know, immensely get rid of Alina here over Marty. Yeah. Okay, let me yada yada over this, because I want to get to the Marty episode. So we have a double immunity challenge in this one. One man, one woman wins immunity. Jane and Fabio win it. This is one where they have to hold the bar straight up so it doesn't drop. And it's this, is cool another, this is another, and it's another Rupert moment, right? Where again, it's, it's like Jane, you know, she wins for the women and she's like, I want to keep going to see if I can outlast the men. And it's, it's a badass moment for Jane of, yeah. oh, here's this challenge performance of like this little old lady outlasts all these strong young guys to win yeah. immunity. And, and also like duckling. indicative of what a good player she is too. Like, let me make myself feel like, even, make myself a bigger threat for everyone here. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. So, so Jane and Fabio win immunity and this whole episode comes down to, are we going to vote out Marty tonight or are we going to vote out Alina? And at the end of the day, they all pile on Alina. They just hate Alina's guts for some reason. But the, the lead up to this is a tribal council. Marty just goes off on Jane. Jane needs to be mm-hmm. voted out. She's got a hard luck story. I hate her guts. She's a, a snake and he really is a bully to her. And this will come back in the next episode when Jane's mad and wants revenge on Marty. Yeah, so Marty, I mean, this is a complete paint job, right? Like he's saying, you know, Jane's going to win in the end. I'll go so far as to say if I go to, if he, she goes to the end and I'm on the jury, I will vote for Miss Jade. He also talks about, oh, she has this, the worst story I've ever heard of tragic human loss. <laughs> Marty has such a weird word choice at certain points, and I really fixated on the term tragic human loss. Uh, like, why, it almost sounds like he's an alien trying to, you know, hide his identity, but it slips out when he decides to personify her as tragic human loss. <laughs> yeah. All right, so well, well, Marty and Jane is coming up. That'll be the last 30 minutes of this podcast. But yeah, so Alina goes here. They just all pile on. It's 10 to 2. And again, there's no mention of the the idol that Sash is supposed to give back to Marty. It never comes up in conversation. We have no idea. I have no idea what's going on. The only thing people remember about this episode is that Alina gets piled on. And when Benry's voting for her, he calls her a 100% grade A dirt squirrel. And then proceeds to make squirrel noises as he's voting her out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there was such a more interesting story there. We never heard parts one through 10 of, we only but saw the end. <laughs> here's the thing. As much as we complain rightfully so about again, how this Alina stuff comes out of nowhere and how small of a character Benry is from a comedic perspective. I kind of love how out of nowhere it is. I love like, Benry, I just, yeah. I love how it's how like we sometimes get these confessions of people being like, I hate this person with all our guts, and we have no context for it. To have Benry, a character who has barely spoken outside of a few broisms, now come into this episode and say, You are a one hundred percent grade A dirt squirrel, and it's time for you to go home to the point where he is pulling a Doctor Doolittle and doing animal noises to send this poor girl off. Like I I almost don't want context because any context would completely like remove the comedy that just comes from the pure spontaneity of him going in so hard on her. (laughs) 
we have a lot of foreign listeners, people that aren't from the U.S., and they'll ask me, I'll get emails, like, is dirt squirrel a common uh, expression in America? Would, would I, am I supposed to know what a dirt squirrel is? And the answer is no. Nobody's ever heard that term before. I don't know what that means. So anyway, Alina's gone. And I, I don't, I'm sure we don't have too much to say about her. I think she was a super strong player, but I don't get why people just don't like her. There's something about her like Eliza that just makes people want to hate her. All right, Marty. We'll get to the Marty. This is the the last stand of Marty Piombo here. I think that's how to pronounce his name. It's, where it's isn't everybody it against with, him. Isn't it funny with Marty? We talked about him, you know, being like the season's all about him and his downfall. The fact that he was in power, quote unquote, for four episodes, and it's five episodes of him like yeah. not being in power. Yeah, like, exactly. He's for more from he has more time out of power than in power this season. Although I think you guys are mistakenly saying his name. His name, according to Jane, is now Farty. Mr. Farty. <laughs> yes. I, at least she does regard him with a proper title. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Lord Farty. It's like Lord Farquaad. He's almost there. Lord right. Farty of Libertad. Lord and Lady Farty. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> we're about to meet the end of Lord Douchebag here. Where, where uh, this is his last stand. It's everybody against Marty. He has no idol. It's Lord never brought Lady up again. Douchebag. Okay. All yeah. right. I just got there. I'm I was sorry. waiting for you to. Well, Mike set it up. It's an old SNL sketch for people who don't know. And I commented, and Jay finally got it. Okay. So, you so, idiot! It took you so long to remember. Yes, I'm. I'm not too bright. You just got to keep going with me. Paul is so confused right now. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Paul, Paul was looking at a rock. Yeah. So yeah, this, this whole yeah, episode is every- rocks. Everybody against Marty. We're going to have the reward challenge here. This is a fun scene, one of the more iconic Nicaragua scenes, the zipline scene. Although I think people tend to forget it's a random draw for who's going to go on this reward, and it's men against women, and the men just steamroll the women in the challenge. But before the challenge, Chase is allowed to pick, which side do you want to back? And he's like, I don't know, I'll pick the women. And like all the guys are like, you idiot, Chase. And so Chase doesn't get to go on the reward. Yeah, I think Ben Ree's like, come on, man, you didn't have faith in us. Uh, but I believe, so I think someone did the math on sucks back during the day of this, of like just the infinitesimal chance that on a five V five random draw that ended up five men versus five women. And it is pretty astounding. And yeah, I do feel bad for the challenge makers here. Cause they actually had a pretty fun challenge. This is, I think they called it three little pigs where like they ran through some straw and then they had to like run through a big bundle of sticks that looked incredibly dangerous and probably made Jonathan Penner go through some PTSD watching it and then break down a brick wall. And I think unfortunately with it being men versus women, despite Dan really slowing the guys down at some point, just their pure physical force allows them to really power ahead at the sticks and just never give up. Yeah, it's not even close. Although, I should point out, last episode, everyone said Chase is wishy-washy. He's making deals with everybody. He's an idiot. This one, Chase decides to back the girls, and Marty says, watching Chase is like dumb and dumber. And later in this episode, Brenda will say, Chase is like a big baby. Wah, wah, wah. So Chase is just getting hammered in the edit here. And I think that's because the producers are trying to they're getting worried. They're they're trying to wonder how they're going to explain this Fabio win at the end. So let's sabotage Chase a little. And again, he loses by one vote. Yeah, one vote. He almost wins. All right, here we go. The zipline reward. This is a fun scene. All the dudes, Benry doing bro stuff with the dudes as they zipline. He says woo a lot, and they pound beers at the end. 
Except Dan is just, Nayanka is to the farm as Dan is to the zipline. Like, he just does not want to be there whatsoever. <laughs> He's stone-faced the entire zipline experience. He's like, yeah, it was okay. Uh, you know, he, he get pulls out a classic, like, Dan Rodney Dangerfieldism of like, yeah, there aren't any ziplines in Brooklyn. If you, if there are, you're a burglar. <laughs> have you guys oh ever been ziplining? Have you guys ever been ziplining before? I have not. Oh, actually, no, I have. I've, I've, I've been in, like, a couple of, like, those work retreats that they do in the woods. Okay. I was on I... a uh, cruise in Mexico once, and they do these shore stops in Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, and we did a zip lining thing in the, the canopies of the trees, and that is the coolest thing ever. So I totally get the why this thing, scene's a neat scene. I have been zip lining, um, but it, it was it was, like, local sort of stuff. Uh, to where you know it wasn't like you know a a a fifty foot zip line. It was it was it was long, but I know what you're talking about, Mario, with the zip lines like over gigantic you know crevasses mm-hmm. that are going you know miles long. No, I have not done a really really long super high zip line, but I have done a significant one. Okay, you just do local stuff like Batman. Yes. <laughs> Now that makes me really want Dan Lembo as Batman. I want Bat Dan. <laughs> Paul, I'm not even going to ask if you've been ziplining. I'm assuming you have not. No, we save all our ziplines for you know milk delivery across um, <laughs> wide open spaces. Here's Viva, Viva, Viva has a huge monopoly on our ziplines here. But yeah, this is a great scene. It's a really one of these old school Survivor rewards. Yeah, and and, and it gets music. like that. That yeah, that that big music, right? The soaring music, like da 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 da, like that big. You know, I feel like we get it in so many different wide shots, and it happens here too. How's that go, Mike? <laughs> da da da. Okay. Now, now I'm thinking of Dan Limbo in the Bat Cave, and Alfred comes in and says, "The Joker's on the loose," and he goes, "Eh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> we ain't got no Jokers in Brooklyn." Uh, listen, I, I gotta get back to my bat cave and my four batarangs and my three mansions. My four batarangs? <laughs> I love that Batman has four batarangs. And he, and I, I do. One. He's always bragging about his four batarangs. I do. <laughs> yeah, so again, they bust out the old school Survivor music. This is a great scene, and it finishes with... Marty trying to pull all the guys into an all-guy alliance at the end, and it doesn't work because, A, they're worried Fabio may fuck it up. <laughs> Fabio's a, a wild card. And then they spend five minutes shitting on Chase again. <laughs> Where Dan points out Chase is a bad horse to ride. But yeah, so essentially Marty's last-ditch effort plan here is, okay, we're going to tell everyone we're voting for Nayanka because of the food thing to flush her idol, but we're actually going to vote for Jane. And this is going to be, really, this is like the line in the sand moment, right? Because this is going to be, Marty is going to rally Benry, Fabio, and Dan to his side. And essentially, the rest of the post-merge, sans that Brenda vote, is going to be like the Marty's alliance versus literally everyone else. Yeah. Okay, and this this ties into what I said earlier in the podcast, that there's really... Nicaragua is a season in three parts, just like our historian's coverage is in three parts. The old versus young, then the fall of Marty, and then the last part is it's perfectly set up right here at the end of this reward where Chase says, you know, it doesn't matter what Marty does because Marty is irrelevant. Brenda and me make the decisions on everything. No one else matters in this game. And that really is the story after this episode. It's really kind of neat how it ties together. All right. So... 
So the guys all go on their reward and they come back and everybody wants Marty gone and everyone just shits on Chase for being wishy-washy and not sticking to a side. And Brenda, you know, hammers on Chase here. And here we go to the immunity challenge, the memory challenge, Marty's last stand. Which, you know, he almost pulls off here, right? He's the final two in the memory challenge, but he falters at the end, of course, in true Marty fashion. Oh, he does. It's great. It's him against Brenda, which is super fitting. It's like his. It's like uh, in Vanuatu, if it would have been Amy against Chris Doherty in the shuffleboard at the very end, and Chris pulls it. Like, it's, perfect. it's a perfect little synergy here that Brenda beats him. Yeah, so to sum it up for people, it's a memory challenge. Propes reads these symbols. They have to hold up a cube and repeat the symbols in order. And it gets down to the very end and it's Marty against Brenda and Marty fails at the end. So Brenda wins immunity, knocks him off. And from here on out, Marty's toast. He can't do anything more. And Jeff, uh, sort of, again, sticking his nose in a little bit when it comes down to Marty and Brenda being like, Marty and Brenda have not been the best friends in this game. Marty's like, oh, that's not true. And Jeff goes, just saying what I see. So again, <laughs> here comes Jeff Probes, you know, very first season being like, hey, I'm just here to proceed over these tribal council uh, proceedings. You all talk about what you need to cut to 20 seasons later. I'm just saying what I see. <laughs> saying what I see, brother. No need to yell at me. All right. So and there's and there's nothing really left in this episode other than Nayanka letting her freak flag fly at tribal council. Although I got to point out right before tribal council, we get Fabio's big winner scene. It's finally here. You know, it's what I'm talking about. Oh, this is the one with him and Benry, right? Where, ben, where Fabio's like, yeah, this sucks that I have to continue to lay low and play stupid, but it, it's what I need to do. Yeah, it's both of them. They're technically playing the same role. They're both playing laying low, playing dumb, just people tell them what to do. And Fabio says... I hate playing stupid so much, but it's the smartest thing to do right now. And then we did confessional where Fabio says, that's been my strategy all along. I call it being cool. I just lay low. I stir. I cause no stir. I make no waves. I have no enemies. And then later, maybe I can do something to pull it out. But he specifically lays out his uh, strategy here. So he stay, you know, don't tick people off. Stay out of it. Stay out of the drama. And somewhere of a sepia towery is nodding and smiling that Fabio was listening. All right. Final tribal council. Let's talk about Nayanka here. <laughs> I like calling it the final tribal council because it is kind of the end of the, the arc. That, yeah, this is, this is Marty's final tribal now. council. <laughs> yeah. It, it's the end of part two of this season. Yeah. And, so this uh, is, uh, this is Nayanka, the humanitarian, the human. <laughs> okay. I'm sure we have a lot to say about this. We still have time. I left us time here at the end. But it starts with Marty going off on Nayanka for stealing food, saying Nayanka needs to go. If this were a sport, you'd get rid of her. She's sabotaging the team. She says, no, I'm a humanitarian. I look out for people. I help people. And then they just go off on each other, Nayanka and Marty. And neither one will bend an inch. Oh, I love like, I love Nayanka taking the moment to just start roasting Marty, knowing he's on his way out about how his hair sucks, his walk sucks. Yeah. I don't like him. His hair, his walk sucks. And there's a fun payoff to that. I think it's at the end yeah. of this episode where Marty goes up and casts his vote. And when he's coming back, he walks right by Nayanka and does this really exaggerated walk just to piss her off. Yeah, and she flips him off, I think. <laughs> I love this season. I love these two. Okay. And then Fabio inserts himself into their fight. And now she tells Fabio he sucks too. And now Nayanka just goes off and roasts everybody basically in the game and starts flipping people off. And it's, and Probst is like, I, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say, Nayanka. 
Yeah, because essentially, like, she just goes off on, like, an entire tangent. She starts making a comparison to, like, me and Marty are at a track meet, and, like, if I'm passing him, I'm I'm gonna, like, try to scare him a little bit and nudge him out of the way, which I don't believe is how track works, <laughs> no matter where you come from. She's gonna uh, give him a little whoop-whoop. Yeah, exactly. You know, basically, basically the reason Jeff is speechless is less so about, like, what Nayanka is doing and more so he's sort of, like, it's kind of yelling at the players being, like, she is doing this and nobody is voting her out. How is this happening? It's very clear you're a goat right now. I'm going to come out and say you're a goat right now. And she's just like, that's fine. I'm I'm here at the end of the day. Have we pointed out that Nayanka, I don't know if everybody knows this. Nayanka was a nationally ranked track star in college. She was like a huge athlete. So, like, when she's telling track stories, that's like, she's got street cred. And oh, I'm not just lying I... to, I'm just not just lying to trick Paul. Is that either. why that's... she was in Iowa? Yeah. I never like, looked into it, but that's yeah, why she, I, I, I do love that before when she's like, she's like, I wasn't even this cold in Iowa. Yeah. She was from South Central. She's from L.A. She got recruited because she was a huge track star in high school. She got recruited to a small college in Iowa. And she went out there, and then she was, like, a big star there, too. And that's how they recruited her for the show. Yeah, and it's all. interesting. I mean, uh, I wonder now, though, if she became, like, nationally ranked because at the meet she would just nudge people out of the way <laughs> while she was passing them. Well, she became nationally ranked once she beat uh, Guillermo Vilas in a, in a, in a, oh, in a, in a 200. Yeah, she didn't like his walk. Paul, she actually beat him in the 100. You fool! <laughs> oh, if you could only see my face right now. God, you freaking low IQ dumb dumb. I was going to say insert Mike Bloom reaction. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy listening to our show. We have fun. I know I now have this mental image of like Mike changing his kid's diaper and being like, "You dumb dumb." Oh, you little tiny idiot. <laughs> I, I, I love how Fabio gets in on this, too. Like, how Fabio is, like, interjecting. Because, again, he's just, like, beyond words. And then Nate, yeah, I could just lumps him in being like, hey, you know what? You irritate the fuck, you irritate the fuck out of me, too. And then yeah. she starts, like, just like, hey, you know what, Marty? I'm going to take a pause on you. Fuck you, too, Fabio. <laughs> yeah. Fabio comes in with the aggressiveness of a four. And Naoka will top him every time with a ten. Every single time. So anyway, yeah, they had their little fight, and Probes is just speechless. And again, I got to reiterate, Nayanka, one of the most hated players of all time. Nobody would say a good word about her on the message boards at the time. I'm glad there's been kind of a renaissance since then that people are at least more willing to renaissance. Thank you, Mario. Yeah, yeah. a more of a comic figure. Hopefully, that's what I've been hoping to do with the Funny 115 because I think she's so entertaining. I would, I would love if Nayanka was on every season. I just love her. All right, and with that, we're going to lose Marty, and of course, everyone's against Marty, and he finally goes up there, and he votes for Jane, and he says, uh, <laughs> y'all messed with the wrong gator, missy. Yeah, she said, y'all's catfishing trip has been terminated, because y'all messed with the wrong gator, missy, and it's very clear he's, like, trying to build up this southern dialect, this, like, genteel aspect that, that Jane is coming across, but it's very funny to have it come from, like, Marty's extremely dry delivery. But then Jane matches them. Again, these two just hate each other. This is the biggest subplot in these middle episodes where Jane votes for Marty. She's like, my grandkids will never be allowed to play with yours, plain and simple. Like, you're just trash. Like, it's, these two just hate each other. Yeah, so it's interesting that, again, given the rivalry, you know, that, that it was actually Nayanka who really gets in, like, some of the final words and Marty and not Jane. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then Marty gets voted out, and... 
you never he never does get the idol back. We never see him ask Sash for it back. I have no idea what happened with that subplot. But Marty gets voted out, and he just says, good luck, guys, and that's it. <laughs> and with that, we lose arguably the biggest character in Nicaragua. Apologies to Nayanka. Uh, but it's, we're just getting started, folks, because two of the other biggest characters are going to go out back-to-back in the next two episodes. Is Brenda next episode? Brenda's next episode, and then after that is the double-quit episode. Okay. Yeah, okay. So to put this in perspective, the season has hit a demarcation right here. The end of Marty marks the end of the second part, and we're going to go to the third part. And it's really, again, Nayanka and Brenda. Just pay attention to them. Nayanka's going to turn on Brenda, and Brenda's going to be so hurt and angry about that. And I think it really affects Nayanka. I think it helps lead into the quit. And I think it just tom- dominoes everything the rest of the season because Nayanka has turned on Brenda. That's the one thing I want to get get across to people to watch for if they're watching these episodes. Yeah, I mean, as you know, I think Paul mentioned before, we actually have really fantastic bookmarks in the way that we pace out these podcasts. But the next five episodes might be honestly like the biggest clusterfuck in Survivor history <laughs> in terms of just narrative is getting thrown out the window. Big players are going, uh, you know, a double quit is going to happen. And then Fabio immunities his way to the end and ends up winning. It is going to be such an odd, <laughs> odd way to end up to what this point was like actually kind of a consistent season narrative wise at least in in marking distinct acts to it where the final act of this is just going to be a complete hot mess and i'm very excited to get into it well you need to have that if someone like fabio wins survivor you know what i mean like i know that fabio you know immunities his way sort of toward the end which he needed to do but you know there are seasons that like kim spradlin wins or or something like that where like the person who's in control is in control to the end right and it's like the only way that like someone out of left field like Fabio wins is if, you know, the playing field gets nuked from orbit. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. Well, that's that's the thing that I was going to say confusion. Confusion's not the right word. The confusion over the season is that everyone says the season makes no sense. This is a clusterfuck. It's just a mess. And it's really not. It makes sense, but you got to look at it from the perspective of the story the editors are handed, and that's what I think makes it interesting and worthwhile and worth talking about. The editors don't often get handed a storyline that gets this convoluted at the end. So to me, it makes it interesting and fun to watch from that perspective, although if you're just watching Survivor from a strategy game, here's who wins, who dominates, who controls the game. That doesn't happen here. Now, Everyone can watch Survivor for different stuff. I happen to love Nicaragua for this reason, but admittedly, there's no way you can argue the story makes sense at the end. It just doesn't. Um, before we sign off, anything you want to do to eulogize Marty? Hopefully we talked enough about him. We, we talked a lot about it. I think really good character, really flawed player, which I think also informs just how great of a character he is. As I, as I sort of mentioned before with like the tragic human uh, you know, life of human tragedy or whatever. He, he's just a really, like, he really pops in a number of ways, not just through his hair, but, like, his energy level and the the way with which he words things. I do think it's a little shameful that he has not been back, but I think that almost crystallizes him as sort of, like, a one-and-done character that I think was very unique to this season and was an integral part of this season as well to contribute to part of, like, the, hey, at any point in time in Nicaragua, you can be either on top or completely on the bottom of things. I hate that we have to use that yardstick of, you know, is this a person that should be brought back for another season? But, you know, 
me sitting here saying that I don't like I, I, I don't like it when people get brought back because I don't think the survivor necessarily works that way. It also makes me old man yell at cloud. Like I know that that's basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, I don't like the forward pass in football, but I know, but, but I think what you're saying is like, it sucks that we have to use that as a metric of like, well, this person wasn't brought back. So they're not a memorable character. Right. You know, but, it's almost but, like, it's almost like uh, in hindsight, like, Oh, were they valuable to the, the series as a whole? Right. And, and the thing is, is that I think that it's, it's almost highway robbery that Marty has not been brought back because you know, now that people like, you know, I, I thought that PG forever should get brought back and then she got brought back and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, Marty has not been brought back. And I think Marty, it, it's almost a shame that Marty hasn't been brought back. But I was going to say, and I'm glad you said it, Mike, in a way, I'm glad he hasn't been, because then that means that in order to uh, experience Marty, you have to go watch his one season. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's it falls right into the line of you always think the players that are playing the hardest and the best strategists are supposed to win. A lot of times it's more interesting when they don't win. I think it gives them more depth. Yeah. I mean, Marty is, I think one of the more complex characters this season, because there are moments where he has like great triumphs, like with Jimmy T, but as Paul mentioned, it's five episodes of backslide of him trying to get a grip. And he is just like grabbing at air and is continually slipping down this mountain until he finally, you know, careens down to his death But it's such an interesting story because we usually don't get that, right? Usually, Marty is someone who's able to, like, bounce back and prevail. That's going to be passed over to his fellow ally, Fabio. But it shows how, in the case with Survivor, like, things don't necessarily have storybook endings. Again, as we are going to be very soon finding out. Yeah, I mean, and and just to to quickly put a cap on it, it's it's almost like that... uh... Uh, phrase, you know, you're you're not working harder, you're working smarter, and all that sort of stuff. In the sense that somebody I knew that I went to school with would study almost three times as long for a test as I would. And I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm a great student or something like that, but I would get comparable or better grades on tests than they would. And they would they would be like, well, how, "How did you do good that job, Jay?" I know, good job, <laughs> me. But they they'd say things like, "How how did you get that that kind of grade?" I studied for eight hours, and I literally looked at this person and said what are you doing for eight hours, right? Like, (laughs) like what on earth is going on? And that's the whole thing is that I think that Mike sort of hit the nail on the head. Marty was playing hard, you know, and you, you could argue that no one was playing harder than Marty was, but look what happened. Yeah. You know, it's like just because you work hard and you want it doesn't mean that it's going to happen for you. Well, it's, it's also interesting from an editing perspective that, you know, Marty was a big fan favorite among the mess on the message board. He still is to this day. I would think most people talk about Nicaragua. They're like, hey, Marty was great. But you could have easily edited Marty as this huge asshole villain because mm-hmm. he was oh, a yeah, bully he... to people at times. Like, it's really interesting how the percept you, the perception of him could go either way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he was he was face for a lot of the uh, for the for the first part of it. But I mean, he's absolutely heel tendencies all across the board. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he can be very blunt, especially when he feels like he's backed into a corner, right? He's almost very Spencer Bledsoe in that regard, which I know that the comparisons have certainly been made. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting. You could be like, well, you could edit him a, a hero or a villain. And in Survivor Nicaragua, they chose a little bit of both. Yeah. Although it does make me think, wouldn't you love to see Marty and Boston Rob having a showdown strategically and just their uh, stubbornness in the same season? That would be hilarious to watch those two go up against each other. I feel like that's one-sided, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just because Marty will not back down. 
and he's like he's not he's not subtle, but he's just an immovable or unstoppable force against against mm-hmm. an immovable object. It's just I just love watching Marty bounce off people because he's so one dimensional, one directional where he's going. Okay, well, I think we've said enough about Marty. Oh, okay, one one thing I wanted to ask, just be from a different perspective, because Paul, you were younger than us when this season aired. I'm curious what you were thinking as this season was airing, like who your favorites were, who you liked. Like, what did you think of Marty and Nayanka? I mean, not super young. I was old enough to be in a nighttime geology course. <laughs> it's very true. He's not like a prodigy here as an like, you know, kid. Yeah, Paul, think... is, Paul is looking at rocks at night, Mario. Jesus okay, who's Christ. the type that Paul likes? Paul likes older middle-aged women with the potential to fall. So, like, I always had, there was something about, like, like Jane obviously was, mm-hmm. I, my <laughs> my attitudes on her have changed over time and as the things have come to light and, and whatnot, but definitely was a Jane fan, and also Dark Horse was kind of a Holly fan, and I hope that's something that we do get a touch on in the third part, is kind of how her story kind of goes from crazy to competent in the oh, end. Oh, Paul, so. you remind me of my son! <laughs> <laughs> oh, th- oh, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, but yeah, I think that was, I feel like maybe a reason why I don't have necessarily fond memories of being totally sucked into it. Cause I don't know how much I actually, you know, liked or was rooting for these, you know, Marty, Brenda, uh, Nayanka, Sash, all these kind of big players are throwing us are not necessarily the most likable people They're like, as we've been talking about, they kind of get trashed along the way because we can't actually expect one of them to win. So, um, I, I don't really I think I definitely was more of a, a team Jane slash Holly at the time. Okay. That's exactly who I would have predicted. So thank you for answering that. I'm so consistent. You, you didn't like Marty at all. No, I was not. I mean, like I, I probably was like interested in what he was doing, but I was not like a huge Marty fan, but I never, I never was or will be probably the huge fan of the huge strategic mastermind. It's just not really why I watched the show. So if Jane had gone in a certain direction, was selling Mr. Farty merchandise, <laughs> would you have bought a t-shirt? <laughs> probably. <laughs> All right, well, at the end of the day, we're just hoping to get you guys to appreciate this season maybe on different levels that you may have appreciated it before. If if it's from the storytelling, the comic moments, the editing, the dilemma that producers were put in, kind of the the unseen things you aren't seeing in the story that make it more interesting. Just we're really hoping at the end of the day to get you to like the season because, again, this is not a season that people like. Uh, We're going to be working even doubly hard next season with Redemption Island for the same purpose. (laughs) But hopefully there's something in these middle episodes that you guys will like, because this is the stretch that most people don't like of this season. And I think with that, we're pretty much done with this episode. I think we hit our time limit. Nobody quit right now. Okay, (laughs) this is this is where the going gets tough. But we have an interesting stretch to cover next time. Oh, yeah. Now, the, the, the finale of Nicaragua. This is going to be a historic historian's episode because this is one of the most chaotic stretches you are ever going to see on Survivor. Going to be fun. So, anything else to uh, add before we send Paul off to his baby shower? Enjoy Plinko, Paul. It's, uh, it's been fun, dirt squirrels. <laughs> and before we go, Mike, I know you have a newborn Tell your son, your newborn son, that my middle name is James, not Joseph. It's going to fuck him up for life. Oh, that my God. And I'm going to stare in his face and yell at him and dance around him in so much joy about how my little near two-year-old son didn't even realize your last name. Oh, my God. What a little dummy. We got him. We got him so good. Oh, we're awesome. We're so awesome. High fives all around. Benry style. Does it get any better than this? <laughs> 
All right. I think that's the perfect quote to end on. Thank you, Paul, for giving me the quote of the episode. Does it get any better than this? <laughs> All right. Uh, as always, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find the, the rest of our podcasts on uh, survivorhistorians.podbean.com. They're on uh, iTunes. We have a lot of new listeners lately, so I want to thank you guys for joining in. Thank you for getting introduced to Survivor. For the first time, I know a lot of people are just starting to watch it because it's on Netflix. Uh, thank you for getting introduced to this show that we have been immersed in for more than two decades now. And we hope the historians can in some way add to your uh, watching experience. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Oslison. We'll be here doing the fish dance until you return. See you guys soon for part three. Goodbye. Dude, I've not told anybody this, not even on my own tribe, but... I am a grandmaster in chess. And have you ever heard of Guillermo Vila before? Have you ever no, heard of man. Too? All I've heard of is Bobby Fischer. Okay, well, Guillermo Vila is an Argentine grandmaster. When I was a kid, I beat him twice. <laughs> and when you want to talk later, man. I'm taking orders, bro. If you want to, if you want to make the biggest move of this game ever in Survivor, I've got it all laid out. Actually, I'm not a grandmaster in chess. And the Argentine grandmaster of all time, Guillermo Vilas. He's one of the greatest tennis players of all time, but clearly has nothing to do with chess. So I could pull anything out of the 70s on these guys and they wouldn't know what's going on. Benry's here, baby. My bad.